I was a lusty twinkle in 86. <laughs> You're still a lusty twinkle. Ladies and gentlemen, friends and listeners, and welcome to episode 10 of the Skill and Bones radio podcast, a monthly-ish show about games and geek culture coming to you from the wet coast of beautiful Bellingham, Washington. My name is Bradley Lines, and I am both a three-foot-tall, black-eyed, gray-skinned, inscrutable master of intergalactic spaceflight who is also intensely interested in what you humans keep up your butts, and one of a trio of hosts coming to you today. To my right, a rapid response investigative team leader dispatched by a Las Vegas hotelier to uncover the truth of the skinwalkers and end their reign of terror with high explosives, Mr. Lauren Tinsley. Morning, Lauren. More bombs the better, baby, and stay out of my butt. To his right, my favorite test subject, the truth is in there, Mr. <laughs> Kevin Seacack. Hey, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that, but uh, I hope you find what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> looking for love in all the deep places. Oh. Welcome back. Uh, so, Kevin, what are we going to talk about today? Talking aliens. But aliens. That's right. So for aliens, for me, it goes way back. And I remember spending the night at my friend Danny's house as kids. And we'd stay up late at night looking through his second story window. And, and, and we'd see all these weird lights. And every single light we saw, we were positive it was a UFO. Okay. And it wasn't until literally like a year or two ago mm -hmm. that I realized we were looking directly towards the airport. <laughs> <laughs> like I knew, you know, obviously that they weren't real aliens, you know, a few you, years after the fact. You, you knew-ish. You, you kind of had it. <laughs> I mean, there was a chance, of, yeah, course. Right, right, of course. But, you know, you're there still is. Hope, I mean, yeah. if you are a UFO, where are you going to land? At Props an airport, right? Or an yeah. airport. I yeah, mean, sure. Yeah. Right. Seriously. Of course. Middle of the highway, maybe. Right. Rooftops. White House. Something. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Middle of Montana. I don't really know exactly where it began other than, like I said, me and Danny were just super into aliens. He got me into the whole Roswell conspiracy really early on. Nice. When I was a kid. And he had models, you know, that he'd put together of, of Roswell, the Roswell landing. I've been to Roswell. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we lived in uh, El Paso for a while, okay. um, and there's only one thing to do when you live in El Paso, and that's get the hell out of El Paso. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we would make little day trips up to White Sands, to the to the missile testing areas, to the Air Force bases, and that kind of stuff. But we also uh, would take the trip over to uh, New Mexico to go to uh, Roswell and uh, check out the museum there. It was pretty cool, but, you know, I'm not a true believer, so I'm not... Uh, not super into that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't anymore, but there was, as a kid, you know, you just want to believe those things. And, right. Uh, but I had books and books about it. I knew all the, all the individual encounters, all the abductions. And... The types of encounters, the lists of, because uh, the, there's, there's like a classification system for the really? types oh, okay. of close encounters, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there was, but I don't know if I was fixated on the classification system so much it, as the uh, it was individual experiences. By... <laughs> it was written by J. Allen Hayek. Okay. He was a Air Force engineer, and he came up with the system of rating what kinds of encounters there were, whether it was just a matter of, wow, that was good control. <laughs> Did you get it? I don't even think it showed up. That was amazing. That was the, that was the quietest, quietest sneeze ever to actually be on record. <laughs> 
Thank you. That was incredible. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. You, you heard didn't it hear it here, and that's what's impressive. <laughs> Ninja. Will register as a heart attack, though. Probably. <laughs> I have seen stars right now. You. There's a like sparkly. <laughs> it's a, it's an actual type of close encounter. Yeah. <laughs> to see lights in the sky is the very first level. It's the it's close encounter of the first kind. Oh. To see physical evidence on the ground is a close encounter of the second kind. A close encounter of the third kind would be contact. Contact with uh, aliens. These are the these are the scale of of interactions that this guy Hayek or Hynek uh, came up oh, with. Okay, I was going to ask if he was any relation to Selma Hayek, but I guess that shoots. No, that not not Hayek. Hynek. Mm. So. Close encounter. You you got curious on where the third kind came from of close encounters of the third kind. So you researched that. Is that where it brought you back to that? No. Well, I mean, I of course saw the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind years and years and years ago. It came out in 1977, which was when I was born. So was t- I. it took a little while after that. But I mean, I was a big fan of that. I watched it again last night. Mm-hmm. And it holds up, you know. But uh, we uh, we'll get into I think movie chat in just a little bit. We're gonna talk about aliens. Yep. We talk about UFO encounters. We're going to talk about movies related to it and then sequels to movies that shouldn't have been made. Shouldn't have been made. <laughs> and specifically, oh. we're, we're speaking about alien encounters on Earth as opposed to all the science fiction movies where humans might travel to other planets and invade there or space battles and all the kinds of things that, that exist in science fiction uh, involving aliens. We're talking specifically about aliens on Earth. Yes. And we're going to do that uh, after a quick break here. <laughs> yes. WorldSmithIndustries.com, originally created after a couple of successful Kickstarters. They're makers of terrain resin for tabletop wargaming. Current offerings include a variety of walls, water features, and some scatter terrain. The area terrain system involves a number of area terrain bases into which you can plug things like trees and rocks and giant crystals. There are also blank bases that can be used to make custom inserts or just make some open space. You can mix and match. It's easy to make a variety of terrain types just by switching out inserts. Because it's resin, it's a lot more durable than a lot of scratch-built terrain. It's highly detailed and really easy to paint. Skill and Bones listeners can get 10% off their orders by entering the code Skill and Bones at checkout. Go to WorldSmithIndustries.com. Recently, I was listening to uh, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History yeah, podcast, sure. and he was uh, he released an episode called Destroyer of Worlds, which is about the Cold War. You know, I'm in the middle of listening to that now, and it is an intense podcast. Very intense podcast. Terrifying. You know, and it's about Essentially, you know, once the nuclear bomb was invented, we now had a level of technology for the very first time in our entire history that's capable of wiping us all out. We've invented our own existential threat right. that didn't previously exist. And how do you come to grips with that? And, you know, lucky for us, we have a system of morals and, you know, idea of greater good for the advancement of species that prevented us from really employing it as an ex- existential threat. But what if you had that same level of technology coming from another planet where they don't necessarily they don't have the same value of human life that we do not to mention they're not on this planet and therefore they can safely nuke it from orbit yeah yeah <laughs> it's the only way to be sure they're uh, <laughs> that's correct so you know their their trigger fingers might be a little itchier and so i think that that, that it is a good way for us to deal with that fear of what we what technology can do to us is Rather than worry about what our next door neighbor is going to do with with this incredible existential threat level of technology, but what if we can just imagine a fantasy scenario where these these other beings that represent that threat instead? Huh. You know? And it was all kind of born out of the World War II era, right? Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's the, the earlier alien encounters, uh, reports of alien encounters existed. I mean, this is some straight 19th century stuff, right? Right. Where you had these small Texas towns that invented this kind of uh, uh, strange sightings or, or crash landing even in order to just drum up tourism for this place. The same similar kind of stuff happens around Roswell, you know, where, where they've just built up this whole tourist trap uh, side of it uh, in order to exploit what was essentially a, a culture of fear of people that were worried about aerial invasion from uh, the from the Second World War, you know. And eventually spawned a series, TV series. It's the spin-off. Oh, Roswell, the TV series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At the same time, the, the Air Force was, of course, experimenting with all kinds of different aircraft that they were building. And I mean, just space or uh, air flight in general, uh, different kinds of airplanes since the uh, since the beginning of the 20th century. There were different sorts of aircraft that were being created for all kinds of different purposes. And so people were seeing all kinds of silhouettes in the sky that they had not seen before. You right. know, pilots were seeing different kinds of planes they'd never seen before. And the, the, the type of reporting that you could do or had to do when you saw these sorts of things, it was a not a well networked uh, reporting system. You know, you just kind of had, there was the Air Force. They kept track of things. There was like the civilian uh, air traffic control. They kept track of things, you know, but you didn't have a, a, a real system in place. And most of this was built up before the days of internet too, right? Oh, way before. Oh, yeah. We're talking 40s, you know, 1940s, that kind of time. And I think, well, I think the 50s, you know, with Sputnik, what was that, 57? You know, was, sure. was the first time <laughs> that we'd put an, an object, you know, orbiting We'd, we'd hit low orbit or whatever with ICBMs and things like that, right? right? Um, V2 rockets, but we'd never had something that we intentionally put into space going around it. Yeah. And so then that's, you know, for the first time we are really looking up to the stars and wondering, is there somebody else putting things in space sure, as well? Sure, yeah. You know. And I mean, beyond just the, beyond the, the orbit of the planet itself, there were various instances where things would be flying over the United States that people just didn't have an explanation for. And there were genuine government cover-ups of some of these things. Like, for example, there was a series in during World War II, there was a series of balloon launches that Japan did where they created these kinds of hot air balloons that were laden down with bombs and they would just release them into the jet stream and float them towards the United States. They figured out this system that as they would uh, drop below a particular altitude, it would release one of the bombs or one of the weights that was attached to the bottom of it that would then propel the balloon higher into the air so it could travel further. And just every so often it would drop a bomb as it would cross the ocean. Some of these things actually made landfall in the United States. And yep. we were, in fact, bombed from the air by Japan during World War II. Oh, I didn't know that any of the bombs had gone off. Some of them had, in fact. And, were there uh, ever any casualties? Uh, yes, there were. There was uh, some down in Oregon. There was a, there was a group of people, but these were not casualties because of the bombs dropping on the people. They were so incredibly inaccurate. They mostly fell on rural rural areas, and nobody ever heard about <laughs> sure. it. Sure. But there were crash landings of some of these balloons, and people found them afterwards. Yeah. And when approaching them, detonated some of the bombs that were left on those balloons and were killed. Oh, okay. There's a memorial in a small town. I cannot remember the name of that town in uh, Oregon. Astoria. Uh, that <laughs> it's entirely possible but i don't think that's it no <laughs> but that's where was, the goonies were from of course it's in historia yeah there's there there is a uh, i think it was radio lab did a great podcast on the balloons that uh, made it across the united states and in fact there was one discovered just north of here uh, just across the border in british columbia by some hikers and this was back in i want to say 2010 wow. they oh, found really? they found the remnants of these things so yeah. they're still being discovered i'd but, heard about the ones that they discovered after in oregon but i didn't realize that it accidentally detonated the bombs yeah that's crazy yeah hmm. so anyway people saw things in the sky that they had no explanations for and that is the basic definition of an un unidentified flying object right you right. know 
And for all of the flying saucer crowd and the flying, you know, boomerang crowd and the people that are talking about greys and all the different types of aliens that's supposed to exist uh, on Earth, there's a, a lot of people out there that are just looking for w identifying the unidentified, you know. They start with a theory and then they take all the data and try to warp it to match their theory, which is, you know, the wrong way to go about it generally. In some cases, that's true, right? I mean, yeah. and there's a lot of people that do that. And and those are the people that we like to look at because that's a lot of fun. Sure. There was that UFO convention down mm. in, mm. Uh, where yeah. was that? Uh, Gray's Harbor? Gray's Harbor, yeah. Yes. That was last month, this month. One of the speakers there got me, I was looking into the speaker list there to figure out what this, you know, whole thing was about. And um, I kept on seeing the name MUFON come up. Have you guys heard about this? No. Okay. MUFON is the Mutual UFO Network. Okay. Okay. It was originally the Midwest UFO Network. It was created in the late 60s. It was designed as a investigatory group to track UFO sightings and then to, to apply actually a pretty strict uh, scientific standard to dispel these things. I mean, there were people that were dedicated in part to the working theory that there were aliens among us, among us, but also just to root out and weed out the people that were clearly crazy or, you know, to apply at least a basic um, investigative standard to UFO reporting. Because okay. one of the reasons why there was this big cover up, as they would call it, uh, by the Air Force into not just not Roswell, but alien investigations in general mm -hmm. was because people kept on flooding the the air force with requests and so they actually went out um and the the uh, air force it was it was in 1977 maybe i think <laughs> probably, and it, and probably. It was this, everything good happened in 77 and it was this uh, this hynek guy actually was part of the group that uh, wrote this report the air force did in order to tell people to hey you know like chill out it's not happening stop reporting these things. And they addressed that in the movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They had that panel out there. It was telling people, hey, back off, you know. Of course, in the movie, they were covering up the sure. encounter with the aliens, but that's not quite the same thing. Anyway, this MUFON group, they have like this database. And I, I went out and I found a field manual of theirs, right? Of like how to apply the particular scientific standards. And just, just so you you know whether you, you, you've got like a preponderance of evidence or you've got, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And you write up this report and then send it back to the MUFON people. They like deputize field agents. They give you all the types of gear that you might want to have the, it, it, as basic as like compass and notepad kind of thing. So <laughs> Get, okay. and a map so you so you can like pinpoint where things happen where the reports is and get the, the amount of information how to interview the people that report this stuff right. how to uh, gather evidence and it's a really interesting basic scientific field manual does do you think that this manual helps them gain what their desire which is seems like credibility I, it, oh, they're absolutely this community is obsessed with credibility uh -huh. right and so they've got this kind of problem where they've got this image of just crazies, yep. right? But they've got the the same people saying, no, listen to us. We're just trying to weed this stuff out. We're just trying to control the crazies and put this genuine scientific standard in for how to investigate the unknown. And on top of that, they have a rapid response investigative team. Hmm. It's called the star team. Right. So, you know, take that for what you will. But the MUFON star team... <laughs> And here's where here's where things get, you know, fun, fun um, is meant to be a rapid response within 24 hours of a major event. 
right? Okay. And these are people that are not just simple volunteers, but will actually be paid to go out and do this. They get they get their travel paid for. They get a um, hundred dollars a day of stipend in order per, to go and investigate this stuff. Per diem, yeah, get their per diem, and will be dispatched to go investigate the most credible things. One of the guys speaking at that conference was a star team leader, so that was kind of what what got me interested in in this. Now. You want to get into the profiles of the people that are actually on the star team. Some of them are rigorous, you know, ex-Air Force scientists. Some of them are rigorous ex-Air Force scientists that are also a little bit crazy. Some of them are, (laughs) you know, I mean, they got their whole shtick. So, but the people that are behind the star team, so the star team, the per diem, the travel, all that kind of stuff is funded by this guy named Robert Bigelow. Mm. Okay. Now, Robert Bigelow is a... A hotelier. He runs uh, the Budget Suites set of hotels uh, all across. It's nationwide. Mm-hmm. He yep. runs the Budget Suites. He also runs the Bigelow Aerospace, okay, which is an aerospace company down in Las Vegas. Oh. This company is dedicated to... <laughs> this company is dedicated to building modular space station rooms to attach to whatever space station is up there, uh, whether it be the International Space Station or some other one that is constructed afterwards, in order to create inflatable space station modules that are to be used as hotel rooms in space for the ultra rich to go visit when they do their, you know, space tourism kind of stuff. So that's where he, this guy exists, right? Inflatable? Inflatable. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, mean, it's got like a superstructure that then they, that then they can inflate this uh, extra room around. I mean, it makes sense if you're going to put air in a thing to be able to make it somewhat flexible. Sure. Sure. But I mean, just from a marketing standpoint, trying to convince somebody to book a room in a (laughs) <laughs> inflatable it's got its own patch kit and everything just you hope case. so right yeah. <laughs> but um yeah so that's that's the kind of stuff that they build and they're they're, they're all kinds of dates on their construction that they're missing you know and they, they were supposed to be in business by now but they're still missing they're st- or redacted <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> now this guy this bigelow guy that funds this space tourism joint and also funds the star team that goes out and investigates alien encounters on earth he's got this long history in the matter of ufos so this guy's like dedicated right this is where the rigorous scientific funding thing kind of turns towards the other side of it because a main focus of his was the national institute for discovery sciences uh, which was more interested in this supposedly haunted ranch outside of Las Vegas that they thought was being used as a stargate for skinwalkers. He got probed and he's angry. That's where you take the crazy and move the money into the rigorous scientific research. So when this guy passes away, yeah, does this mean this will be the end of this whole movement? Oh, God, no. No, that movement exists entirely outside of just his stuff. Really? Oh, yeah. But, the, the, but the financing. Yeah. Of, is that's well, the, the, financing of, the financing of that particular side of MUFON, which is only one organization, bear in mind. Right. And there are, there are numerous skeptics. And there's this whole political craziness that's going on with people that think that MUFON, in fact, are the ones behind the cover-up, right? Mm. Who think that because, because there's like this, this lifelong... <laughs> non-compete or not not non-compete but a non-disclosure that the um stars team has to sign in order to be part of the stars team now you look at this on the surface and it's obviously just like made so that that not everybody gets to just get a book deal right out of the deal you know if you go to investigate things you're not supposed to talk about it and you're not supposed to write books about it because then you've got all kinds of competing you know uh purposes in mind here where everybody that they want to keep people pure on this team at least keep them you know, rigorous and keep them scientific and, and just being able to write a book about every single call that comes in, you know, so they make them sign these contracts. And of course, any kind of secrecy 
is immediately a sign of a cover-up. Right. Therefore, right. you know, <laughs> you get all this stuff spawning out of it. Beyond the Star Steam, they have, MUFON's got like this uh, whole database tracking, you know, where uh, every single report that comes in. And they've got a pretty decent, you know, interface to be able to pull up the MUFON case management system or MUFONCMS.com to be able to search uh, various alien uh, interdictions in your area. <laughs> How's Very the, nice. What's it, how's the view at the bottom of that rabbit hole? It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. down there. Yeah, I can't. I kind of got. Uh, yeah. So this anyway. episode is brought to you by MUFON <laughs> and the Star Team. This is, this is MUFON, not move on. And oh MUFON. no. Not move on. I didn't think org. you'd have the the yeah. first terrible pun of the episode. Sorry. That's usually my territory. That's all right. I'll wait. It did lead me to to discover that in the area of uh, in the Bellingham area, we have had sixteen UFO sightings in the last year. As reported to MUFON. Really? Yeah. Huh. Probably has a lot to do with, you know, the Air Force Base in Oak Harbor, I would suspect. Apparently, just reading the descriptions of it, it has something to do with Sky Dragons. So... Mm. I think it has more to do with the legal marijuana in the state. Might have a little to do with that, yeah. If there are the Sky Dragons, can you really call them unidentified flying objects? It sounds like a pretty specific but, identification yeah, right? right there. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly a flying object, but... Uh, <laughs> wait, all 16 were Sky Dragons? No. <laughs> I think we got one person who's just spamming reports here. No, 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 no. Not all 16 were Sky Dragons. Because if they were, then yeah, either it's one person spamming or maybe we should start getting legitimately worried about Sky Dragons. And I don't really know what we do to prepare against that. I think they live in Mount Baker. It's like, not actually an active volcano. It's no. just Dragon's Den. Wow. Sky Dragons in flight. <laughs> Afternoon delight. <laughs> Breaking news. Uh-huh. All right. So where do we go from here, man? I'm sorry about that one a little more rapidly than I expected to go. but That's I, all right. Um, I got, that, got rid of that card. Yeah. <laughs> that was only that one was card? Awesome. As small as the font. <laughs> to me, that just gives the backbone to everything, like all the, the conspiracy theorists out there. It's, it's interesting to know that it comes from somebody, and it's very much, it's being funded by Budget In. That's awesome. <laughs> And that's just what I just want to be clear that that's just one guy, I, right? I that's that's I running understand. a particular, you know, and only dispatches these people to the most credible of alien encounters. <laughs> that's still so, awesome. So, big fan of Roswell, right? Yeah. As as a kid, knew all the different stories and read all the various uh, reports and everything like that. And then in 1996, I took a family vacation up to Alaska around the Fourth of July. Watched the Fourth of July. Basically broad daylight, you know, midnight. I like where this is going. <laughs> and then uh, last day there before we head out, we were in Anchorage and Independence Day had just come out. So oh! we were trying to kill some time. And so family went to Independence Day and that movie had everything a little nine-year-old could want in it. Because <laughs> uh, it had the Roswell tie-in, right? Like that was the whole yeah, thing sure. was the original yeah, fighter yeah. Had, yeah. had crashed the in Area Roswell. 51 uh, tie-in. Yeah, Area 51 and... I had Will Smith, and I was a big fan of both The Fresh Prince of Bel Air and <laughs> Bad Boys was my was my one of my favorite action movies at that point. And then you know, big fan of Jurassic Park, and yeah, Jeff Goldblum like it had everything for me: huge explosions, giant spaceships, just an epic scale, and at that time, amazing special effects. So that pretty, movie, pretty good one-liners too. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's not like the special effects don't hold up in that movie. I mean, no, they do. they're pretty yeah. good still. The, the explosions are a little, the fire, the way yeah. fire moves and stuff like that. Is, but whatever. Okay, I mean, fine. 1996. I mean, this is 20 years. But at least they still used or... puppetry, you know? Yeah. And, and, not just, and not just like early era CG that just right. looks like crap, you know? Would have been bad. Would have been so bad. It would have been bad. So for years, that was my very, very favorite movie. And then later that year, in December, uh, Mars Attacks came oh, out. Oh, here we go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that. 
And I actually didn't like Mars Attacks when I first saw it. I didn't get it. Uh, well, you were nine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I watched it in the theaters. I don't know why my parents took me to that, but I was, you know, kind of horrified by, you know, Martin Short getting his fingers bitten off and sure, spat yeah. in the fish tank. And all of the characters in that movie die pretty much. Yeah. Except for, you know. Oh, it was a horrific movie. It was a yeah. horror movie. I mean, it was, everybody was dying left and right. Uh, in gruesome ways. In yeah, gruesome so. ways. It was so, a lot to take in as a nine-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but then, you know, a few years later, I circled back around and watched it. And then that also became like added to my you know pantheon of great well a pantheon of two really uh great alien invasion, alien, movies. alien invasion movies yeah because the old ones the close encounters of the third kind and stuff like that as a kid you know the movie was too old it came out in 77 so watching it you know as a nine-year-old then it was this movie's 20 years old it's all grainy and weird looking and it just doesn't quite capture my interest the same way yeah watching the watching it hd last night it looked pretty good you yeah. know it looked fine the special effects were from the 70s but they were there i mean they were, they were it was still spielberg you know so yeah. it's um it's still some high quality stuff regardless yeah the score is great the acting's great richard dreyfus is fantastic in it oh i'm sure the movie it's a movie i would appreciate as an adult but as a kid it just didn't didn't get its hooks in me the same way that it didn't have the highest quality of child actor in it i'll say that much for oh, it boy. the boy in that movie holy cow <laughs> well i can't watch 2010 space odyssey i can't watch that one it's, yeah it's, well, it's boring too so yeah. i understand where you're coming from 2001 is no, two thousand one. Well, two thousand one, and then they made the then they made two thousand ten oh. as well. Oh, did they? I, either yeah. I can't watch. Uh, I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Did they make it in two thousand ten, or was that just a sequel? No, no, it was it was the original sequel. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Mars Attacks. One of the things I like about it, especially now looking at where Tim Burton's career has gone, it's is, not the first Tim Burton movie that I would put on a kid. Really, like it's not the one I, the go to that I would certainly start, start with. But it also has like a more original, <clears throat> like unique aesthetic. <clears throat> like oh, uh, then then all of his. Clearly a Tim Burton movie with the way things like curl. He's a big fan of curling things. They had big <laughs> curls in their collars, the, the aliens on their capes, and the way that the the ramps would come down. Sure, yeah. It would be like a yeah, tongue, you know, rolling down and stuff like that. So it definitely had like the Tim Burton aesthetic, but it didn't have, it wasn't all grayscale. Like everything, every movie he's made for the past like 15 years has been, you know, he's essentially made the same I'm trying to think of another colorful Tim Burton movie. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory would be uh, one way that I would go with that. Edward Scissorhands had Edward it. Scissorhands had some color, but it was but it also was, very stark. It was yeah, it was a, for a contrast. Yeah. Did he do the recent uh, Alice? Alice in Wonderland, he did. Yeah, which was colorful. Uh, and then uh, what was the the musical? The um, Sweeney Todd. Todd. Sweeney Todd. No, that was all. That's great. That was all grayscale. Was that all grayscale? Oh, yeah. Except for Linda Bonham Carter's. Helena, Helena Bonham Carter. Helena, thank you. Yeah, I have you for the details. I just yeah. kind of get us there. Well, that, that's Helena the, Bonham Depp. That's the yeah. That's the part that he no. She, Her lipstick was. She married. Uh, yeah. She married him. Tim Burton. Tim Burton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, but that that was the that's kind of my point. It's just they're got, always next to each other, and therefore you know he's got stuck in that rut of these two have to be the leads of the movie yep. every single time. Yep. Even if it's a musical, and yep. neither one of them are amazing singers. Yep. You know, and anyway, but so uh, that was like the one of the last movies. I, before he got stuck in that rut. I mean, he made a couple of good movies afterwards, but then kept making those same movies over and over. So are you a Tim Burton fan or no. not? No. Once upon a time, I mean, I certainly, he's certainly so talented, you, but... You were a Tim Burton he, fan. He, I was, but then he got his head wedged way up his ass and has never tried to remove it. And now you're, tried you're to a bitter, it. angry Tim Burton fan. No. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm just no longer a fan. I mean, it's the same way that like M. Night Shyamalan at first, we thought this guy's great. <laughs> that was the, that was a shorter curve downward yeah, for him. Certainly, yeah, yeah. certainly. But, uh, a case against Timber. Anyway. So then Mars Attacks, <laughs> it's based on, uh, 1962 tops trading cards that came in gum packages or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it was a, it told this whole series, uh, and I and I looked it up on Flickr the other day. Somebody had built a slideshow, so I went through and I watched the whole fifty-five card series. Huh. What is this? Right, <laughs> Mar- Mars Attacks. The movie was based on a on these a story that was told via these little collectible cards. Collectible cards. Yeah, there was fifty-five of them, and they'd have a, on one side it would have, you know, a picture of whatever event, and on the flip side it would give you kind of the story going. And so I went. To, I wanted to compare of alien it. encounters. Oh no, specifically the Mars Attacks <clears throat> story. I mean, the aliens oh. are the same. The oh yeah. So the movie was based on that. Who made that? Tops. Tops. Had no yep. idea. Tops, the baseball card company, yep. randomly made an alien encounter. They did a couple of these weird ones. There's another one that's a similar series about dinosaurs from another dimension bleed over into our dimension. Oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Um, and they, so they ended up re-releasing these cards years ago. I think the I'm not sure exactly when it, when they came out, but anyway, it was some anniversary after the after the Mars attacks. Okay. Uh, movie or whatever. But anyway, so these these cards, uh, I wanted to compare them. You know how how similar it is to the movie. And there's definitely some things, you know, like the movie opens with the the burning uh, cattle or whatever. Right, so yeah. one of the cards is a burning cattle card. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, when Jack Black dies, there's a in the movie there's a card that looks, you know, almost identical to the way he dies and and things like that. Well, now, okay, real quick, with the card with Jack Black dying, right? It's not Jack Black clearly, right? Yeah. But but was Jack Black cast to look like the guy that? was on the card. I mean, was it a similar looking dude to Jack Black? I guess. Because I mean, mean, that wasn't like an all-star awesome cast for a movie, Mm -hmm. but to have it be another level, like everybody was physically modeled to look like, you know, the people on these cards would be just insane. No, there, there weren't really any like recurring characters. Okay. They were all just kind of like nameless soldiers and stuff. All right. All right. Um, So there's like, there's, there's images that they definitely were definitely nods to the original uh, cards. Okay. Stylistically, it followed this this right, card game, right? But the the story deviates pretty game, wildly. Right. Uh, okay, <laughs> so in you know in the sixties, we talked about this in an earlier episode with all the giant insect movies yeah, and yeah, everything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that's what the aliens decided to do. They're they're blowing everybody up with death rays and they're flying saucers and they had a giant s- shovels that could, they could deploy and slam people into buildings and all these things that you'd think would be in that movie. And then uh, then they turned all the alien or all the insects on earth into these giant insects and so there's this long war Fantastic. with the insects and the mars basically just the martians just go home <laughs> just kind of like <laughs> our ass- work here is done <laughs> <laughs> pretty much and just kind of assume that it'll it'll uh, work out but then the the humans build these uh these rocket ships and ro- launch a counterattack to mars and so you've got like these World War II style Sherman looking tanks that just have like extra turrets on them this is insane going around and blasting these alien martian uh cities and they like fight their way to the center of these cities and then blow up these the power sources and so the And this all, all comes out of a collectible card? A 50, uh, just a 55, a 55 card. <laughs> 55 card set. 55 card set. Wow. Uh and yeah, the, so then the the planet destabilizes and Mars explodes and all the soldiers f- are flying back home and on their Sherman tanks. <laughs> well, Sherman tanks like they were parachuting out of uh, rocket ships out of these rocket oh ships. My God. And yeah, they're wearing like army fatigues with like a little bubble helmet yes. over the top of it and stuff. Yes. Still a better movie than Independence Day 2. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I had heard about it because I was familiar with the the other series, the dinosaurs being bleeding inter- over into our dimensional dinosaurs. And I heard that there was a Mars Attack series too. Um, and apparently, the original cards go for like multiple thousands of dollars Amazing. on eBay. Amazing. 
Amazing. So. I wonder if the interdimensional dinosaurs thing is where you get like the David Icke uh, lizard people uh, uh, theory of alien invasion. You know, Hillary Clinton is a lizard person. Kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there was anything like that. It was definitely like people were fused together with uh, with dinosaurs in that series. So they're bleeding over. What year was the original card series came out? 62. 62. When was the reading of the Orson Welles War of the Worlds? Oh, that was earlier. earlier? Much, yeah. Like how much earlier? Like a year Oh, but these these uh, these cards were were shut down pretty quickly after their initial release because uh, there was a lot of you know they were horrific, perfectly mm-hmm. violent or whatever you know people getting turned into skeletons, but there wasn't like gore or viscera or anything like that for the most part. But I mean, nineteen sixty two standards and implied sexuality was what the, one of the other huge like public outcries. so they had to cancel the sales of these things because yeah the, oh, that's yeah fun. and There's then they, the kids right yeah. Uh, War of the Worlds, the radio drama was in 1940. 40 okay, I was going to yeah. say, I thought it was in the 40s, but yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, pre-World was... War II. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't even realize. I thought that, I had no idea. I had the uh, original radio drama for War, I think we talked about this before, had the radio drama for War of the Worlds when I was a kid. I had it on cassette tape and would listen to it regularly you know, in my little Walkman. It's classic. It's cult at this point. Does everybody hate the remake of War of the Worlds? Or I don't hate it. A lot of people hate them. I, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I have no problem the with it. The Tom Cruise one? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean it's fine. Yeah, yeah. there was I, I, there was parts of it that I like were legitimately like scary for me. Like the, more of the people's reaction to it, the part where they're trying to drive through the crowd, uh huh, and and the crowd's like, "How do they get a car? We're all on foot. We want this van." And yeah, then they yeah, end up yeah. Like you know, they get managed to get out of it, and this other guy takes it, and then you know, people get killing each other over just getting a van, even though they're all still clogged in traffic. There's nowhere to go with it. Um, I I look at war the remake of World Worlds is the same as like uh, the day after tomorrow. Eh, whatever. You don't even remember that movie, do you? Day after tomorrow, I. That was the if the rapid ice age deal. Yeah, and then, and then but right. then the wolves ended up being the the bad guys. The wolves? <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was that, that was a dumb part of that movie. Was the, you have these like super like super frost centers that would come down from from space and just just instantly freeze something and the wolves were impervious to it right yeah yeah you'd have like these massive floods and like all these like gigantic you know disasters and then it was like and there's a pack of wolves are you thinking the the day the earth stood still yeah that's the one the day the earth stood still the original the original one and then the the remake i've I've seen the original i've seen the remake the one with keanu reeves um yeah yeah i watched that as well (laughs) i haven't seen that it is not something that you necessarily need to watch nope yeah uh, that's the one with the giant robot that's standing in the middle of New York City that's ready to um, level anything that uh, that comes at it, and then right. I'm familiar with like the old poster of the original, yeah, yeah. you know, but that's all I know. I meant of to it. go. I meant to go actually go back and rewatch the original because I because I watched the new one mm-hmm. uh, just to uh, just to have that one in my back pocket, but. Uh, it's not something that I need to have in my back pocket or anywhere creeping around the back of my brain. It's yeah. a terrible, terrible movie. See, that's Still why I, a better movie than Independence Day two. No, I don't know that I would. Uh, okay, you're so you guys, so right if you're going that. for pure entertainment, yeah, Independence Day two is is better. There's but, a lot more going on there. But yeah, then, but then just for entertainment, value. Keanu Reeves being Keanu Reeves. But hey, yeah. that's not always a bad thing. No, but it is in this case. <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just not, not working working for him. Yeah, you just got to give him a. Just a few lines, just a few, a dozen or so is, is perfect. My wife watched the original War of the Worlds and she enjoyed that. She thought it was great. She thought it was portrayed well. Yeah. Uh, the, the original is classic. It's I love the movie. original movie yeah. and the original uh, radio show. They were, they were fantastic. I'm... So you loved Independence Day and that was, you know, like cornerstone to your youth. Oh, yeah. So recently I've watched Independence Day 2 and let me just tell you to stay away from that one. Yeah, I, I intend to. That's what was campy it? Campy as hell. Uh, what was it about this movie? I watched it as well. 
And I mean, it's basically like they they went back to the hey, do you remember Independence Day one? Well, and and just brought everything back. But it was in the, the worst son way. And it was the daughter of this person. It was the it was like literally just the family lineage, as if these are the only people on Earth that could possibly affect an alien invasion. Right. And they just kept on coming back to those people. Well, one thing we were talking about before we started recording today was you know that it was a twenty year gap, and yet they couldn't get Will Smith right. right. I, yeah, he but shouldn't they, touch they, that with a 20-foot pole. No, but Jeff Goldblum did. Yeah, but that's just... Jeff Goldblum He did the same thing Smith. in Jurassic Park when everybody else passed up doing Lost World. Jeff Goldblum's like, eh, I'm looking for work, you know? Uh, and he exactly. doesn't do well when it's just... Jeff Goldblum is fine as, like, a supporting lead, you know, a co-lead. Uh-huh. But when it's, like, just the Jeff Goldblum show, I just don't think that he... Does it pulls it off? No, a little yeah. too neurotic. They brought back Not his much of a hero. dad. Yeah, for the love of God, they brought back his dad and his, the scientist. And the, the scientist. scientist. The whole crew was back, except for Will Smith. The whole crew came back for Independence Day too, and but, they really just shouldn't have made that movie. Yeah, it was bad. It was so campy, dude. They had African alien hunters with machetes. I, and I don't mean to be racist with that, but I mean, that's just a level of ridiculousity that I'm not prepared for. Sorry, that does remind me of one more thing I was going to talk about with Mars Attacks. Yeah. So when the movie came out, they also came out with two books. I don't remember the names of them. One of them was like these people were trapped in, the, in a house with the Mars Attacks aliens, like this mansion or whatever. And there was uh, these two, two of the aliens were named Bindar and Dundat. Bindar and Dundat. Yeah. And the other one was about oh, the Mongols fight, fighting the Mars Attacks aliens. And I read that one, but I don't remember that one nearly as well for whatever reason. But uh-huh. like, I was really tempted to go back and read that one again. I was like, how would the Mongols face those things? Uh, pretty well, actually. It was something, yeah, something of the Golden Horde. But anyway. I'm done with Independence Day 2. Are you? <laughs> Unless you want to keep no, your word on I it. I want you guys to give me like, a full rundown on how terrible it's <laughs> deep dive. It's like a cult movie without a cult following. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They tried. They tried. They really swung for the fences with it. And honestly, you know, it's like we've got this movie, the original, about full scale destruction of Earth Mm -hmm. for resource extraction or whatever purposes they had. That was kind of what they said. It was sort of implied, right? But not really directly stated. In this one, it was more directly stated that it was coming to. What resources were they looking for? I have a question. Quick question to interrupt here. Um. I know in our time in the real world, there's been a 20 year gap. Yeah. What was it in the movie? I can't remember for the life of me between the first invasion and the second. It had to be at least that because, because we had already adapted all of their technology and we were flying, you know, alien spaceships around. Sure. And it wasn't, wasn't the main pilot, Will Smith's son. Was I yes. wrong about that? Yes. So enough time for him to grow up. Yeah. Then. Okay. Yeah. Was it his son or was it his uh, son-in-law or whatever from the first, his no, stepson it, from the first movie? I think it was his son. Was was that little boy his girlfriend's? I thought it was. Or no, no, they no, it just, they just weren't married. But I think that was their son. Okay. Yeah, but it was like so. You had you had Will Smith's that son. Boy, that yeah. boy. Yeah. Okay, it's that, it, he's the, it's the same. Yeah. So yeah. it was Will okay. Smith's son and the president's daughter, right? From okay. the from the yeah. first okay. movie, and yeah. and that was the and those were like the the new generation of the characters sure. involved in this thing, and it was just like. But well, and I think that maybe maybe what the goal was from you know from the Hollywood perspective was okay, we have this movie. That's now 20 years old. So uh, all the nine-year-olds out there that, you know, today, aren't, it's not necessarily going to resonate the same way. Well, uh, clearly, since you didn't even see yeah, it at right? all. Right. <laughs> right? No, no, it. I'm saying the, 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 the kids that are nine years old today, the potential, uh, you know, viewers, aren't, they're not going to be interested in the old ones. So we just remake the same movie 20 years later. 
And it, it wasn't though. It wasn't the same movie. It had none of the mystery to it. None. It had, only, I'm not like, saying that they executed it well. I'm just saying that maybe that was their their objective. At the, the only reason the aliens came to Earth again is because we got in and accidentally turned on the ship. Yeah. So uh, there's like there's like the this only reason. There's this space traveler right that is uh, a uh, compatriot of ours. Uh, sort of like or uh, a fellow uh, traveler, let's say, mm-hmm. um, who is also against the same alien race, mm-hmm. who shows up on Earth and crash lands on Earth, and we accidentally switch it on somehow, mm-hmm. and that activates the beacon that the aliens know that he's here now, and so they all come back to to get this. Oh, this, is that what it was? Yeah, uh, I thought we turned on their ship. No, we, no, we turn on we turn on the ship. we turn on the alien orb thing yeah. from the other race, which activated the. Uh, which which called the aliens to come back to us. And then they sent in, I mean, you remember they had the big motherships that yeah. were posted on the moon or whatever, near the moon. Mm. Um, they had something that was even bigger mm. that basically comes in like a hand and fits over the earth, you know? Oh, uh, okay. And so, and then starts drilling down through the ocean with this giant laser to extract the core heat core. of the planet out and the whole planet's about to lose its core. That was the resource they were looking for was heat? I don't know, man. It's it doesn't that, make any sense. Yes, there's it, a lot of hotter places than yeah, the core of no, the Earth. Yeah. Well, they, they, they've been Star. going, they've been going planet to planet and basically sucking up the, you know, yeah. gooey, gooey nougat center of those planets. Apparently, it's nougat. Apparently, it's molten nougat. I thought it was mostly iron, but no, nope, yeah. nougat. No, okay. no, it's nougat. Good. Yeah. yeah. And uh, thank you, Mars bars. And they managed to, <laughs> which is also a planet. And they managed to stop the giant spaceship from doing this. You know, one second from the end of its completing its task, and get extraction, and mm-hmm. therefore we're fine, right? Yep. We we kill off. It's the same sort of deal where you kill off the queen, and and then the uh, the whole alien ship dies. They gotta right? stop networking the shit. They do though. They they network everything, and it's got this whole giant sized alien queen running across the desert thing while everybody's. Shooting, oh. shooting guns at it in, in its so own like the, power armor and you know okay like, i did i saw some of that in the previews of oh, running around man. in the desert didn't the african alien hunter killer in the end with his machete i think he might have yeah <laughs> the, the final the final blow yeah yeah, so yeah. and 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 then, but but the, at the end of this the earth is just left with this giant gloved hand of a ship sitting on the planet and we still got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. It's like... That's going to be a messy cleanup. Yeah. Well, maybe we can refine that into nougat and fill back up the yeah. the core because... Mars attacks Like a Mars. hollow Earth seems like it would have some problems. Yeah. One thing I did appreciate is they left all the old alien craft that that, that crashed. Uh-huh. Left it wherever it was. And that's where you get the African alien hunters is because one of the ships crashed in Africa. Right. So this whole tribe of Africans become alien hunters now and they cleaned out the whole ship and they killed all the aliens. They're particularly their... good at hand-to-hand combat against aliens. Yep. Uh-huh. So and at which point one of them leaves to join the rest of this crew right. and becomes instrumental in taking down the queen thus ending the reign of the ship that's covering three quarters of the earth. Hmm. Yeah. Stay away from uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, Where did you guys land on signs? Did you like that one? I dug it. I'm trying to remember. I mean, the the premise people people knock it for the premise because the water is like acid to the aliens, right? Uh, yeah. And so at the end, you've got the you've got Yaqueen Phoenix smashing glasses of water all over the alien. Swing away. Uh, what was his name? Andy. Swing away. Bart. What was his name? The more I, I think know, about swing it, the more away. I think I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because I actually like that one. Yeah, that was the that was the last good M. Night Shyamalan movie, I think. But a lot of people hated it just I think because I why would you go it, to a planet that's two-thirds think, covered with water? I think I've given up on... I had given up on M. M. Night Shyamalan by then. What? Yeah, that was only his third one. It was it was un, it was Signs, Unbreakable... Or not Signs. It was Sixth Sense, uh, Six Unbreakable, Sense, Unbreakable, then Signs. I like that Unbreakable, Unbreakable Buck, yeah? 
I dug it. No, I liked Unbreakable. Yeah, it was. I mean, that was the next. I, I don't. I don't know what it was then. The like, happening was weed. Maybe. Maybe you were just burnt out on Mel Gibson. <laughs> I could at that point. Yeah, that could have been it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, everything after that was crap. But I like Devil. That wasn't in the elevator. That wasn't bad. It was oh, good. I didn't see bad. it. Actually, I, I can't say that everything after that was crap because I only saw the only thing I saw since then was. Uh, the happening that was terrible and it was terrible one of the other movies that we picked up recently we just went through so you don't have to (laughs) (laughs) Uh, welcome cautionary tale yeah it was was battleship the alien invasion game based on the board game as a giant sop to the u.s navy yes are there any instances like do they have like a a battle board that like yeah, in some okay. way lets you so think you, that you're you were you are asking how this is tied into the board game specifically yeah. do they go there out of their way to do that two instances that i can really think of okay first of all is the fact that it's the story of a naval fleet action um where, where we're on war games mm-hmm. uh, uh running joint with the uh, pacific fleet and various it was like 17 other countries yep. running uh, naval games and uh at some point five ships <laughs> of different types mm-hmm. a battleship an aircraft carrier a destroyer a cruiser and a submarine i don't think there was a submarine was there not a submarine what was the fifth type i can't remember anyway okay. um well get separated a submarine get separated from the rest of the naval games uh-huh. by an enormous energy shield generated by this uh, alien craft is the energy shield a grid patterned no it is not it's not oh, a grid that's a missed so, opportunity yeah there's two so so here i i believe at some point you do see a grid on the screen yes. that kind of indicates positions yes. and that kind of perfect thing. so so number one uh reference to the board game is the fact that there are these five ships separated and spread out in this particular area of space that is completely separated from the rest of the naval games that are going on there nobody can get in nobody can get out right mm-hmm. the second thing <laughs> Is that the alien weaponry that is fired at these ships are giant pegs. Yes. <laughs> that yes. crash into the ships, lodge into them, and then explode. Per- oh, explode? I just wanted them just to be like giant javelins, essentially. Some of them basically are and will sit there on the deck for a while, duds or whatever. But, you know, y- you really do get the direct reference to the pegs okay. in the ships thing. They, they just launch off into space chunk into one of the ships and stay there until they blow up and you do get a takedown of two of various ships based on these pegs did they actually say you sank my battleship i can't remember i would I love think... to see like a grizzled admiral or whatever with flames behind him you sank my battleship they didn't have the grizzled well they they didn't have a grizzled admiral no but they had all of this all the various uh old dudes from the world all, war ii yeah, all the vets come yeah. back to run the guns eventually world war ii wait when does this movie take place it's uh, it's modern era oh so they could have been old vietnam or Part of that rim pack ceremony was to retire the Missouri, right? Yeah, yeah, to retire uh, okay. the Missouri, and they bring it back into action nice. as a major as a major course. This, and of course, the only people who know how to run it, you know, it was a museum in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and so they are retiring it. They're shutting down the museum, and all these old guys are out there for to watch the games and to take part in this closure ceremony. And lo and behold, the aliens attack, and we have to reenlist the oldest fleet of. Uh, sailors that they possibly can to come back and run these machines and teach these young bucks how it's done. Right. Because the true power of the Navy were these old, huge battleships. Right. And there's a part where... But the Missouri was was and run for part where Sorry. <laughs> and there's a part where they have to uh, load up the guns with shot. Mm-hmm. And so, and now this is something they kind of got right, but not entirely right, because they had this huge corpsman like lifting and they're all trying to 
carry this big old shot that weighs tons. Literally weighs tons. There's no way they can carry this across the ship to load the, the cannon, but they're all sweating. These Rihanna, old men with their uh, bad backs. Uh -huh, and there's Rihanna there. She's lifting, and it's so heroic, and they save the day. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like the, just the very premise of that makes no sense, because the Missouri fought in World War II. It fought in the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and the First Gulf War. So, I mean, we're talking about the 90s there was people crewing this thing. So you don't have to enlist the olds to teach you how to run a thing. The thing is a giant, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those, one of those movies that sure. gets made every once in a while. It's just a big propaganda, you know, spend by the U S military. They, yeah. they happen. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And this is just one of them. And yeah. it just happens to be tied into <laughs> battleship, the board game. I was really hoping they'd be directing fire using grid locations, oh, you know, it's, no, like I mean, not, not fire to the starboard or whatever. It's just... a missed opportunity. Sure. Yeah. Right? It should have been long montages of that. The other side of it is the, is that you've got the plight of vets and the walking wounded, right? Really? Yeah, because you had like the ex-Marine, was he was he uh, Marines or was he Army? The old black dude that was up, the two prosthetic ones. Army. Army, he was Army, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and he was just dedicated to uh, taking care of the general's daughter who was a physical therapist who was, was seeing him through his physical therapy mm -hmm. and, and getting this yeah. guy back, back on the thing. And first, it, it's just like... I understand what they were doing and mm -hmm. why they wanted to draw attention to it. And, but this guy was not the right actor no. for this movie. He was just a, he was a wounded army vet. And so I can totally see why they would use him for that, but it was just not the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. You forgot a point and so did I until now. Yeah. At the beginning of the show, all the scientists are very happy. We're going to beam out this, this radio signal to this yeah. planet. Just, okay. We found this planet that could have life on it. We'll probably have life on it. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to beam a signal to that because we want to see what's out there. And someone's out there and they come. And that's yeah, what draws yeah, the yeah. aliens in. So they found they found uh, up on the mountain. Because it's it's Hawaii. They've and, got the radio telescopes. Yeah, and, that's where the radio telescopes are. So yeah. they're going up there to see that. And so the aliens are also attracted to the source of the mm. signal, which is why the army vet and the admiral's daughter being up on this mountain was important to be, for the them to get involved in that but it's just yeah the, the movie has got a lot of nonsense to it and but it's got uh, rihanna but it's got rihanna in it it does did that do it for you um it was one of the draw points <laughs> okay i mean I, the storyline's pretty weak the, the it is based on a board game it uh, is based right. on battleship you had the screw up that can't do anything right in his life until the aliens come down and wants to marry, marry said admiral's daughter they went for the Top Gun approach of having some beach volleyball. Um, yeah. Uh, no, no, it was uh, soccer. Oh, it was soccer. That was right. It was soccer. Was right. it? Was it still shirtless and glistening? Mm -hmm. No. Mm, no, they didn't go the full Top Gun. It's foolish news. and poorly played. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's Battleship. Yeah. That sounds like uh, the character was basically the same as uh, the new Star Trek, Captain Captain Kirk and that. I like him. Yeah, no, but but I mean, this guy was like, bad though. No, he's bad everywhere. Captain okay. Kirk got a shit together. Yeah, <laughs> this okay. guy, there's no shit together. Oh, okay. Sounds like that was the angle they were trying to go for, though. This, yeah, the, he's, the he, ne'er do well. The ne'er do well is trying to impress the admiral so that he can marry his daughter. Yeah, and right. keeps fucking everything up until he until he becomes the hero, though, right? Yeah, I wouldn't call him the hero. Okay, so he still fucks things up, but you're, the audience is supposed to think that he didn't, that sort of thing? Uh, yeah. Whatever. Maybe someone less jaded, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> However, Battlefield LA. Uh, the Battle for Los Angeles? Yeah, Battle for Los Angeles. That was a good, I felt, military involved. Yeah, so this is like two different sides, of this, different sides of the same coin, right? You have the Army-Navy 
on one side. And then Battle for, La- Battle for Los Angeles was the Marines. Hoorah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a much better movie. Yeah, I think I watched that one. Uh, that was where they're going through like like neighborhoods and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm trying to remember what those aliens were like. Automated for the most part, weren't they? There's yeah, a lot of yeah that's right. They shot one that fell in a pool. And they got it and they're like, how do we kill this thing? That's yeah, right. I don't remember that movie very well. Like until we started talking about it today that I remember <laughs> that I did watch that when it came out. Um, yeah, it's, it, it didn't really stick with me. Yeah, I, I just, I, I watched it kind of like back to back with Battleship oh, and I'm okay. like, so all I really got out of it was, this is so much better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't remember having any complaints with it, but I also don't remember. You know what the Battle for Los Angeles was? A uh, Rage Against the Machine album? <laughs> <laughs> this was another genuine historical, uh, alien, uh, encounter, a UFO uh, situation. Really? Yeah. So this is a World War II era thing. This has uh, also to do with the fear of Japanese invasion of the West Coast. What they were concerned with was that there would be flyovers and bombings in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And at the time, of course, what was common amongst uh, the threat of air raid was that everybody would turn off their lights because they didn't want to give away where things, where structures were in order to be bombed. And so the battle for Los Angeles was this situation where the army fired thousands of high explosive rounds into the air over Los Angeles in order to shoot down a UFO. Mm -hmm. There was something that flew over, everybody freaked out, and they fired lots and lots and lots of live rounds into the air. This went on for, I think, about an hour. We're talking about the movie, right? No, we're talking about the actual event of the Battle of Los Angeles. This okay. was something that happened. Real life. This is something that okay. happened in real life. Yeah. I want to make sure. Where there was this uh, report of a flying object. They thought it was a Japanese invasion. They shut down the lights and they started shooting into the air. Nobody figured out what it was, but there were like photo, a couple of photographs. There was tons of photographs of like all the gunfire going into the air. But there was uh, a photograph of what this object was that was supposedly the thing that they were shooting at. And they couldn't really quite make it out. And it's one of the great mysteries of the UFOs of UFO reporting, right? Hmm. Uh, There was a recent discovery about this particular photograph that was taken. There was, it was Los Angeles times reporter that took this picture. He was a a, kind of like a freelancer that worked for the uh, LA times. And he was just happened to be up on this mountainside when this battle took place and he snaps this picture of it. And just recently this ufologist, this uh, one of these guys, not from MUFON per se, oh. but from uh, not <laughs> from, from the, the stars, stars team. team. <laughs> no, but, but just one of these other one of these other kinds of reporters. I I told you that I listened to a couple of uh, UFO podcasts, and I just can't do it, man. I could not <laughs> like I could not carry on with these people. But this guy was this guy was kind of interesting because he went back to the LA Times archives to find the negative of this photograph. <laughs> And what he found was that, that that the negative that they had on file had a different sort of marking on it. There's these little cutout tabs on the side of negatives that uh, sort of mark it as part of a set. And this one had a different cutout than the other photographs that were concurrent from this uh, from this particular photographer. So suggesting that there might have been other negatives that this guy had and other photographs that could have given more information on this particular event. Anyway, that was just a recent discovery having to do with the Battle of Los Angeles. There are continuing new things coming out about it. That's so they ne- still to this day don't really know. They still what don't it was. know what it was. They do know that the army shot at it. They don't think that they hit anything. But battle for Los Angeles was an actual event having to do with when the army shut out the lights in Los Angeles and shot a shitload of shells into the air in order to kill an imaginary Japanese fleet. I had no idea that happened. No, yeah, neither did I. And then they made it into a movie about the Marines. Wow. I love that rabbit hole. That's great. (laughs) There's a few of those. Uh 
you suggested, Brad, you suggested a show called Attack the Block. Yeah. And okay. that was just silly fun. Have you seen this? No. Go watch. And I'll say this to anybody that's listening, all 12 of you. Go watch Attack the Block. Um, okay. This was a movie made in 2011. I'm yes. leaving right now. I'm going to move the mic. I'll go watch it. You guys carry on. <laughs> Come back here in a couple hours. This was made in 2011 by Big Talk Pictures, which is the the production studio that uh, that did uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot mm. Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim vs. Okay. the World. It's got Nick Frost in it. It doesn't have Simon Pegg in it, but mm. um, Nick Frost stars in it. But it is also the uh, film debut of John Boyega. FN2187. Okay. FN2187 oh, okay. eight, eight, from uh, Star Wars uh, Force Awakens, right? right. And uh, he's fantastic in this movie. Yeah, he is. And it, it is, involves... You, you give me this synopsis. I've been talking so aliens uh, they don't really give a reason do they nope they don't need a reason they, they, they didn't really need a reason these weren't inte- particularly intelligent aliens they were just very voracious okay. so it's more like uh well there's a little bit of a reason it's kind of like critters yeah it's kind of like critters. it's it's a it's a it's a alien alien invasion not like humanoid alien invasion okay yeah. what was the reason there all these aliens were contained in various kind of like asteroids we were sort of passing through oh, a, yeah. a meteor shower kind of deal and uh, one of them crashed down to earth. The these teenage thugs in Britain, in so, in London, South London. But but they're young. They're like your nine year olds and stuff like that. Some of them are nine. Most of them are like 13, 14, 15 years old. That kind of stuff. Okay. They find this body of this alien in or no, it, it breaks out of the ast- mm-hmm. uh, out of the meteor and uh, goes and hides. They find it in a shed and they beat it to death mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. bats. Right. <laughs> yep. And then they string it up and they carry it as a trophy back to their apartment block. Which is this enormous public housing tenement kind of thing in which this movie uh, primarily takes place. And That's then. It's not the only alien, no. <sighs> it's not the only alien. Oh, and goodness. the aliens start attacking the, the block of. Attacking housing. the block, yeah. Mm-hmm. And these guys defend the block with bats. With bats and fireworks and all kinds of things that you would expect 15 year olds to wield against an alien invasion. Nice. And it works. Good. <laughs> I mean, uh, the the uh, body that they found was the female of the species, and they uh, was uh, the pheromones attracted the males of the species, which came to get her back. And mm. uh, all right, the visual effects are fantastic. Yep. They, they, the aliens are like these kind of gorilla-like, dog-like, small dog, medium dogish. They're, They're not, big. They were huge. The female was small. The female was small. The males were big. Okay, mm. and they had this this like jet black fur that did not reflect light in any way that oh, was yeah, one of the that, visual effects yeah, yeah, of it yeah, so so when you looked into them it was like light would just fall yeah. into them and not okay. escape they're about the size of the table yeah yeah and then they had these fluorescent blue glowing teeth that so so out of this just blackness there just this maw full of like multiple rings like shark-like teeth mm-hmm. would open up and uh they had these really crazy alien noises that they would make and it was it was a really really it's fun yeah it's a fun movie all right, check attack it out. the block what is it uh is it on netflix or oh no you have to rent this one yeah oh, okay. yeah what else is on the list here arrival that's a great one if you haven't seen it people go watch it this is the new one this is the new one amy adams and uh, Jeremy Reiner. Spoiler alert. It's la, very la, cerebral. La, 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 la. Yeah, it's, it's very cerebral. It shows what I would expect an alien invasion to look like from a social media standpoint in the beginning. Um, it unfolds kind of how you would think, Kevin, like with the, the government cover-up. Like uh, the government locks down control of access to the alien. And then you see how in a very human way, a very, I don't know, approachable way of trying to communicate with someone that you have no communication with at all. Right. Well, really well done. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard good things. I want to check it out. Yeah, I'm I tried to talk it. my girlfriend into it, but uh, it's not her genre. So, is it a scary movie? No. Okay. There's nothing. Uh, there's tense parts, but sure, it's not yeah. scary. Yeah. 
how they reveal the movie to you is misleading. What you're going to see initially are what you think are memories and they're not. She's actually seeing the future. And that's her, the aliens show her how to see the future. That's nice of them. Right, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there's, there's tons of alien movies on Earth kind of stuff. And we could go on and on and on about it, but we shouldn't. I'm done. I got You're nothing done? else. For oh, I'm tapped out after two. You I don't am. want to talk about E.T.? Uh, no, I don't either. Not particularly, no. <laughs> go home. We watched that with it's the kids okay. a little while ago. Go home. Well, I think um, they're, aren't they rebooting that one? E.T.? Yeah. I thought they were. There's 160 <laughs> movies I hear. <laughs> anyway. Um, it's only a matter of time before they do. Yeah. Well. One thing on E.T., that was the first time where I felt really fucking old. It was like the 20-year anniversary of E.T. I'm like, shit. Oh, my God. My, we watched it with my kids a little while ago. That's about the 30th anniversary now. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched it a little while ago because I couldn't really remember what it was like, you know? And we were trying to figure out. And it was... Why are these teenagers smoking indoors? <laughs> it was like these kids playing Dungeons and Dragons and smoking cigarettes at, you know, over at this over at their friend's house with like this eight-year-old hanging out next to them. And I'm like, this is wrong somehow. <laughs> Got a steady diet of cigarettes and Reese's pieces. It was such a different world, the 80s. Oh That's my where god. I, also where I started my crush on Drew Barrymore. Wasn't she like so was I when I first saw it. Yeah, no, this is not a recent crush, asshole. <laughs> when I was whatever age I was when I first saw the movie. Yeah, thank yeah, you very yeah, much. yeah. Thanks, Sorry, Dad. didn't mean to go there. Appreciate that, asshole. <laughs> anyway, Love you bread. <sighs> uh, well, we have uh, we have some other kind of alien things to talk about with you. We all played a video game about alien invasions that was the latest in the series of video games about alien invasions. Mm -hmm. So when we come back from this quick break, let's talk about XCOM. For dark is this way that mows like a harvest. What? Mars attacks. <laughs> you have to go to dark tower games if, Why? if this is within your earbuds it's the best nerd joint i've ever seen ever and i've been from almost coast to coast on that i think that people don't really understand how blessed we are as a community here to have a nice central home such as uh, dark tower games has become mm. props to nathaniel for uh, building that thing up Absolutely. from literally a leaky little back room <laughs> new store to just one of the best hands down game stores that is out there if you need anything from the magic the gathering department to every single damn board game in existence Maybe the wall, even literally. The wall of board games that has been built up there is impressive. Mm -hmm. It's about, what, like eight feet high and 40 feet long, something like that? Ten feet high, easy. Ten, ten feet, I give it ten. You can see a picture of this wall yourself at darktowerlgs.com and check them out on Facebook as well. Also, I would like to ask you guys, how has your customer service been? Have you ever ordered anything from Dark Tower Games? I have. And what happened? I how received it. Did you? In a timely fashion. Did they notify you that it had come in? They gave me a call, yeah. Wow. On top of that, I got rewards points. Really? They're running the whole five-star program. And uh, if every purchase that you made there gets you points for free booster packs or free uh, games. And it gives you special offers at the same time. And a big shout out to the staff there. I know Nathaniel's put a lot of work into it, but he's 
also picked amazing staff. You guys are doing a bang up job. Thanks, guys. You must go to Dark Tower Games. The power of games compels you. It does. <laughs> You're listening to Skill and Bones Radio. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Way back in the day, and gosh, the older I get, I think I live more than one lifetime, you know, lifetimes ago, right? 1994. Right? No, nah, I was 96. My, it was my first introduction to XCOM, the video game. And I didn't actually play the video game. I watched my roommate in the Marine Corps play it. And it was super tactical. You could do things like one guy would arm the grenade and throw it to one of his friends. And then that friend could throw the grenade to another friend. And then you can just chain that grenade all the way up and then finally throw it at the alien. That sounds like a really risky proposition. <laughs> it, you know, he, it was one of his crowning moves. Like, watch this. Lethal hot potato. That's yeah, pretty right. awesome. Yeah. And, and this was a level Bucket of, brigade of death. <laughs> of, of tactics that you had in the original XCOM. And I'm like, eh, it's not for me. I'm going to play some Warcraft which was more of my speed at that time. So the XCOM is like the original alien invasion game, right? Yeah. I mean, even back then, those were the tactics, but he still had to do all the um, the high-level resource management of defending the entire planet. You had to protect all the continents. Everything was still there from that aspect. You're running play. a global organization there. Yeah, yeah. a shadow global shadow organization. from the shadows yes. and that was my first exposure to xcom and then i picked up a xbox and got xcom the new version of xcom one enemy within is that the one enemy yeah. within yeah yeah um the original one was called uh, enemy unknown oh yeah enemy unknown and then enemy within was the like expansion type enemy unknown then and i played the shit out of that on a really low difficulty level i won't incriminate myself by saying how low it was it was easy wasn't it uh, yes it was um <laughs> twice because i fucked up my first game and i had to go through it again on easy and, and understand what i was doing and then i finally beat it but um hard as fuck it's super super tactical um i'm not big on resource management but i can see where that's a big and like fun thing like oh i put all my my power plants together i get a bonus sweet i got a bonus for power i found out in that game that replacing robots was a hell of a lot easier and cheaper than replacing your uh your actual soldiers so i'd always set a robot on first to die and they're also immune to the psychic stuff like mind control so yeah. they were another great first in because you're like, oh, there's a the mind control. Send the robots after the mind control. Send in your troops. No more mind control. Mm -hmm. yeah. Enjoyed it for what it was. But uh, then I tried to play XCOM 2. XCOM 2 came out last fall. Yes. Well, uh, well, actually, it came out last spring on the PC and came out in the fall on the PS4, which is what platform we played it on. Yes. And that too was, I want to say that's harder than fuck. <laughs> Not hard as fuck, but no, the next level. Yeah, that, one's, that. that one's definitely harder. Sure. XCOM 2 is harder than oh, XCOM yeah. 1. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it wasn't, di the mechanics weren't divergent enough for me to keep me too interested. So that the difficulty level and the same uh, similarity of mechanics kind of killed that game for me. But there's some people here that were champions. Yeah. Well, what I like about it is that I've never been a, an RTS fan. Well, a little bit. I mean, I've played a little bit of Warcraft, a little bit of Starcraft and things like that, but I don't like uh, strategy games where I have to do the base building and the combat simultaneously. Yeah. And so XCOM splitting those into two essentially different games where you're doing your, you're doing your base building, then you go on a mission and it's a squad turn-based tactical shooter. On a large grid map. Yep. Full and of cover. Yeah, Earth-like yeah. Earth scenarios, Yeah, uh, you know, where you're... Um, and what I like about it is just, like, from the aesthetics, first of all, is that you have, like, your little gray aliens, and you've got your, you know, your X-Files-type skinwalkers, you know, and, uh, and the enemies get a little bit more horrific from there. But you're, even with just the gray aliens, you're seeing scenes of, like, extreme violence, even mm -hmm. though they're kind of, like, a cartoony, yeah. you know. 
version of of aliens they're not like intentionally scary looking but but they're still brutal yeah, yeah. still right. brutal they're, they're still firing you know disruptor rays and uh, or disintegrator rays at your at your uh, human soldiers that are you know killing them violently yeah and sometimes random citizens and sometimes yeah. random citizens <laughs> yeah. which is which is fantastic um so what I like about that game is the tactical aspect, the turn-based, you know, getting the squad really working together, but not having to worry about my resources at all when I'm doing that. Once you're in the mission. And then um, you guys know I'm not a big fan of the MMOs. I've talked about it probably a few times on the podcast. I like a game that has an end to it, and those games all have ends to them. Right. Um, yeah, I usually find that they end with me losing. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't failed to complete one, but it t- I was thinking about when I've played these games because they are fairly long games usually yeah. a little bit longer than i prefer to play right but i, I played uh the 2012 one uh it was when i had just gone back from blowing all my money in europe and i didn't have a job yet and so i had a few weeks where i was just living on the may or he may or may not exist joey's couch supposedly joey yeah and I, so i played XCOM with him and then this year between christmas and new year's my company gives us paid vacation for that entire week nice and brad was out of town so he was nice enough to leave his uh your ps3 for me and i played through xcom 2 on that didn't i no no i had to borrow i borrowed uh, the xbox made, from joey yeah yeah exactly i borrowed it from joey and that same week also downloaded uh enemy within for the original one because i just couldn't get enough xcom apparently and sunk even more time into that so I played through. You've played a lot of XCOM. Recently. Played a lot of XCOM, so I've got a lot of it in my brain uh, <sighs> right now. Now Joey had a had a game of this going as well, where all of the people on his squad were named after us yeah. and um, various other people within our local group here. And I actually drew from the same pool of players. Did you? And Did I had live oh. in either game. You he you're like one of the only people I can think of that isn't in his uh, in his player group. <laughs> so I didn't live. Uh, you didn't live, but you didn't die. Did uh, I die? Yes. Yes. Uh, you did. You I actually, died. I actually had to play the campaign twice because I got. Did I live in your campaign? I don't. You weren't in there. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> um, Brad, you died both times. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> no, no, no. The be second sorry. time, it was it was a brutal match where honestly, I didn't want to live in that world anyway. <laughs> we right. we like I got I was playing with the uh, monster hunter optional game type where you, you have like the super bosses but you get like these cool weapons to offset the challenge of the bosses oh and brad you had like the bolt caster gun oh yeah and uh anyway we got ambushed by one of those bosses and other thing we were already kind of stuck in the middle of it as it was and i accidentally aggroed this guy with like one of my last activations so they had a whole so uh, to explain briefly yeah there is an expansion to the xcom 2 game wherein they uh you get super versions super versions of the regular uh boss characters of the game or are they just they're, they're just they're not regular bosses at all they're just they're not regular bosses they're just, just boss versions boss of. versions of the regular types of aliens that you encounter yeah and these things have got um a special rule to them that allows them to activate after every single activation that you do not only the ones that they see you could you could activate in hidden places let me reiterate hard as fuck yeah uh but they but they get to react to every last damn thing that you do which means that planning out in advance for what you're going to do to take one of these things down is nearly pointless yeah um because you have to think six moves ahead of time they're not going to be where you think they're going to be yeah and you enjoyed this situation 
after the first boss. The first boss is ridiculous because it's like this snake monster. Yeah. And he can harpoon you and pull you in and choke you. Yeah. And so every time somebody else tries to do something about that, he just chokes him a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit until that character's dead. Yeah, there's nothing. And then you'll harpoon the next character yeah. and, you'll, and you'll do it. Yeah. Over and over again. Or freeze you. Yeah. Or, you know, any number of things. Yeah. Uh, so that one was pretty tedious to get through, but I kind of realized their game and how you how you beat these guys afterwards. And basically they sneak these guys into your regular missions. They, they don't appear in their own sort of separate sort of timeline. They just get added in line into the rest of your missions. And so you'll be going through a regular mission. Everything will be fine. And then suddenly this hard as fuck boss will just appear out of nowhere yep. and start nailing you to the wall. And so I was already, uh, I was already stuck in this one mission, surrounded by by bad guys, and I was like, I can deal with this or whatever. So I move one character over to grab cover somewhere else, and accidentally triggered the boss. <laughs> and I think he was like the last activation of my turn. So oh, then no. it was the alien turn. So not only with the original guys were doing their thing, but then the the boss came in and he started clobbering me too. We call and, that a squad wipe. Yeah. Yeah. And so it ended up that way. Um, I was it was escorting a VIP to the uh, like an extraction point, right? Yeah. And I was down, I lost almost everybody. I had two of my XCOM members and the VIP left. So I actually won the mission, but, uh, but yeah, Brad, you, you died. And I thought that you were just knocked unconscious and I had a few turns to keep you from bleeding out to extract you. So I actually threw your corpse over the shoulder of one of my guys. It was already a corpse. You yeah. just didn't know. I didn't know. Oh. And so I thought I had saved you. And so I extracted your corpse. Thank you. But I got the, I got the gear off of it. Luckily. Oh, well that's So good. I got my bolt caster back. Nice. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah. And I got a proper burial. I mean, maybe you got a proper memorial. <laughs> you, you definitely had the memorial. I don't yeah. know. Oh, okay. We wall? might have taken checked your pulse and realized you weren't there and just kicked you out of the Sky Ranger. Who knows? Oh, that could have been. Yeah. Thanks for the bolt caster. What do yeah. you call that? Sky burial. Yeah. <laughs> Tibetan sky burial. Tibetan sky burial. I, I can I can live with that or die with that. I mean, I can I can I can accept that. Yeah. Well, least, you don't have much of a choice. At least you. Got I went out. You know, I went out the right way, out the door. Or, you know. At least you got to play. At least I got to play. Reproachful look. That's right. And Joey. And then Enemy Within. Hey, watch this. You're going to be the guy running the entire thing. Like your name's going to be on the, uh, the whoever's uh, uh, running the facility. Uh, you know, not, you're not a... I um, feel bad. You, you're, you're the unnamed commander. <laughs> you're a general. Commander. <laughs> commander. Enemy Within had the, the infiltration uh, mechanic, different from Enemy Unknown, that I really enjoyed, where you'd send one of your soldiers uh, mm. away for a mission, and they'd, they'd spend a few turns, so you'd probably have another mission or two that you'd fight w without them Oh, and while they were running infiltration, and then there'd be this extraction mission where they'd just have a pistol, and you have your whole teams trying to meet up with them. They, they spawn on one location of the map, and your team's on the other side, uh, yeah. and you usually have to prevent the aliens from hacking terminals, or you have to hack terminals yourself. Yeah. Um, with that with that hacker, so that guy's just running for it the whole time with his I pistol. I don't think I played with him. It's good. Yeah, um, it's I mean, it's, it's it's almost the same game as Enemy Unknown. Yeah. It starts out, the campaign starts out exactly the same way. Now, XCOM 2 mm -hmm. has got kind of a different approach than the original remake of XCOM uh, or Enemy Unknown mm -hmm. because it's got this, it, it starts from the premise that the aliens have already won, have taken over Earth, and you are on a roving airbase uh, that sort of travels around. I don't know where you started in the world in your in your game, but I started in uh, Eastern Asia. Uh, you are setting up the resistance to the aliens that have already taken over and are running running the Earth now. Mm -hmm. And so you're going in and blowing up their facilities and trying to get more information as they approach the finishing of their Avatar project. I think it was called. Yeah, uh, which uh, ends the game for you if you uh, 
if you fail to prevent this thing from coming to fruition. I kind of get the feeling it's the, the ultimate subjugation of the human race. Yeah, yeah. the final subjugation, yeah, like final, the, yeah. the last thing. So you're building up your troops and your supplies and your ability to fight back against this alien takeover. That's the one thing I really enjoyed about XCOM 2. What yeah. you're talking about is they push that storyline forward. Yeah, they made an advancement from the, from the invasion mm. side, side of things to the resistance side of things. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got into this situation. The problem, the problem that I have with XCOM is just that there are so many damn timers and so much pressure and so much decisions to make in the metagame, in the overall game, that I get under the gun with it and I can't dig my way back out. Yeah. Like, there's nothing that I can do to dig my way back out. Not even on easy. Not even on easy, right? That's that's why I had to start my campaign over. I think was I didn't realize that how against the clock I was. Yeah. And so I was playing it much more like the first one, where I'm just kind of waiting mm-hmm. for missions to present themselves, right? And, and progress through the story. At but that. you got to go get them. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh, I'll go here and I'll just scan for this and I'll just scan for that. And, and like, you wasted rather than a ton going of time. out and, and building that network. And so I wasted too much time and I, and I had to start it over. Right. And so I get in this. I've got up to this point where. I have sunk all this time into it and I'm at the final stages of the Avatar projects nearly complete. Oh, and you I'm, got that far? Oh, yeah. yeah. Congratulations. And, well done. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I get to this well, point. Well, almost done. <laughs> well, almost done. And I get to this point where, where failure is certain, you mm-hmm. know, unless I pull off this master stroke of a crucial mission and then naturally that's when the boss characters show up. Oh, no. Right? And so I cannot progress farther because I installed this extra thing that I paid for mm. in order to make my game harder. Oh, mm. no. And so it's just, it's just I'm beating my head against the wall. Right. You know? And, it, and it's like doubly bad because I bought this experience. <laughs> you know? I paid more than the initial cost in order to make it worse on myself. Right. Yeah. Those... I accidentally when I did the campaign over, I tried to not play with those bosses because they were such an obstacle. And there's two like extra expansion type things you can add. There's one the of one them, that turns on the robots where you get the I play where, with that one where you get the spark class. The yep. the robot is that class. not the, is that not the same one? It's not the same one. That's a separate that's a separate expansion from the bosses. I got that one and it makes it harder too. Well, <laughs> I, I I know I deactivated one of them in my second campaign, and in the second campaign I still ended up getting the spark robot and I still fought the bosses. But I didn't do the uh, the military leader's special mission where he oh. where he joins you oh. and he's like the badass. Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Yeah, he's great. Um, I didn't whatever whatever mission his storyline is. That's what I didn't play. Was that the I one think the, the spark thing happens regardless? Was that the one in the mm-hmm. cave of snakes? It doesn't. Uh, may have been his his mission. Yeah, that's where I remember him from, and that's where the the snake the snake deity guy. But I end up, up going into snakes. that cave anyway. Oh, okay. And fighting that snake deity regardless, oh. or maybe I didn't go to the cave, but I came up anyway. I don't remember exactly what happened, but all I know is I deactivated one of them on my second campaign, and I still played, and I still got the spark, and I still, uh, and I still got the. Um, the spark is a is a fifth class of soldier that you can uh, have that is a large robot weapons platform. Pretty badass. I think yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. It's not as easily replaced as the old uh, as the old robots. Yeah, yeah. It, it, he's a he's old. a very good counter for those those uh, awful bosses because mm. yeah. you can put him on overdrive mode and he gets you know three activations in a row. So it's like okay, well I can just at least just do a good chunk of damage to this guy. Yeah, he gets hard. Yeah. So there's three of those uh, alien bosses, right? Yeah. There's the snake one. There's the behemoth guy, the big fat the dude, berserker, berserker. Yeah. And then there is the archon. Archon. 
And that Archon's the one that's on the final mission that I can't get past, that he just shows yeah. up. Because this dude, what the hell is his deal? He just flies up into the sky, drops down on you, and kills everybody. Yeah, he. Uh, one of his activations is he'll... Yeah, he'll fly up and he'll mark everybody. Mm-hmm. And then you have one activation before he rains death on everybody that's marked. But he can only mark, like... Or he doesn't mark everybody. He, I think he has, like, four markers. So he'll, mark, he'll fly up in the air, he'll mark four of your people, and then one person can react to that. Everybody else gets nuked. How many people are in your team? Six. Uh, up to six. And four of them get marked by this guy. Yeah. And then he just nukes the shit out of them. So... Sounds fair. <laughs> you do get one activation to deal with that. And well, he's got, you know, right. a couple bars of health. So, him, so if you have... You have to have, like, a support class that can heal everybody at, at once. Where it's a once per game where the, their little robot thing... Their yeah. little drone flies to everybody and heals them. I like the and, little robot drone thing. Yeah. Like, as an addition to this game versus the previous one. So if that person is marked, you just have to run with their with their first activation and let everybody else get nuked, and then she can and then her with her second activation she can revive everybody, is what is like the only way you can really beat that dude. Yeah, I'm um, shaking my head. But though. if she's not like if you're lucky, she doesn't get marked, and then you can have one of those one whoever hits the hardest that is marked shoot the guy, and then everybody gets nuked. Then she revives everybody anyway. Yeah. But like, if you don't if you don't take that ability, I don't know how you beat that guy. Because, you know, you have your whole, like, optional upgrades tree or your optional skills tree. You have to take the revive everybody on the squad. Ugh, at this point, it's just, I, I'm not going to beat the guy. Like, the game has gotten so frustrating. I'm just going to, I'm going to have to go back and restart the thing, turn off that that option. But, but that bolt caster is so good. I don't want to give up the bolt caster. You're going to have to give up the bolt caster. <laughs> Anyway, but I Horizon Zero Dawn. That's I uh, <laughs> I did end up beating XCOM too. Yeah, I'll tell good, you, good. badass. Yes, indeed. <laughs> thank you, Kevin's the cap. Well done, man. Uh, on Iron Man mode, where where it saves constantly, so oh. you yeah. Let's let's go back real quick on that because the the Iron Man mode people. The way that one gets around the normal difficulty of this thing is to save scum, right? Which is to save your game constantly. Every every little tiny bit of progress you make, you save the game. Yeah. And then you get rid of the ones that don't uh, make progress. The thing that right. you, you keep the good turns, you throw away the bad turns. Yeah. And this thing doesn't allow you to do that. You don't have multiple save files. You only have a single save file. And so the auto saves and your manual saves all are auto, are saving over the exact same file. Yeah. Constantly. And now, the, the the thing that kept me from save scumming the game, right, prior to the, regardless of the Iron Man mode, it was the fact that the performance of the game was re- pretty bad mm. um, in mm-hmm. terms of its loading. Mm-hmm. It took forever to yes. load a mission on this thing. Yes. Any better on the Pro? It is. Try? Oh, yeah. It only takes like 15 seconds. It's done. This, the, the load times are significantly improved on the PS4 Pro. Oh, okay. Um, so that, that, that makes me actually like want to go back and do it again. Uh, so that I can so that I can play through this thing again, but it's it, they're better. They're but better. I think like that's a from what I've experienced, it's like a universal problem with all these the the latest generation of consoles. Like I still have an Xbox 360 and a PS3, right? So so, well, so just whenever I play on Xbox One or whatever, it's it just seems like everything loads for takes the load times are really long. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I've had uh, XCOM two crash several times on. Me. Yep, like yep. just me too. Shit yep. the bed. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that definitely happened to me too. Yeah, it's not the most stable software. No. no. And I thought that originally I kind of suspected that the load times were as long as they were was more of a feature than a bug, mm. um, just because uh, that's one way to keep people from doing from playing it like that and oh, to keep the difficulty I high. I and see. I mean, the, the the series has always focused about just being difficult, being permanent mm. permanent death, and just being a hard as nails game. And I mean, that's a great pedigree for it to have 
it's something that people keep coming back for. So why make it easier for people to sort of cheat their way through that system? I can see them wanting to keep that, but, uh, the barrier to entry is pretty high. Um, it is. I won't be getting the next one. I'll be, I'm done. You're done. Yeah. Oh. I'll tell you the, uh, the last mission is, is pretty damn hard too. Like from the guy that played it through an Iron Man, it's hard. Yeah. Cause you have three of those. Did you ever get to the point where you played the avatars? Were you? Nah. You use the skull jack and nah. some of them? Oh, okay. Nah. <laughs> so they're, they're like the sectoid commanders that can mind control and everything like that. Wait, the avatars? Yeah. You mean once the avatar project finishes? No, they're just in along, <laughs> along just the main campaign. Like you'll develop a skull jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that. Okay. And you have to, if you, if you do a, a if you skull jack one of the, those librarian things or whatever, the, the things that are like en- made out of pure energy. Yeah. Those yeah. Like yeah, fancy yeah, yeah. type creatures. Yeah, no, I yeah. got that. If you skull jack one of them. Right. You summon the avatar. Have you, have you had that guy show up? He's like wearing, look like, looks like a wetsuit and he's got white anime hair and purple accents. No, I that's a no for me. I did once. Yeah. I don't remember because something bad happened around that time and I lost. He, well, you summoned him is what happened. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, it, that's, right. it's usually pretty bad. Okay. Uh, my first experience with him was uh, was pretty terrible too because I was like, okay, Skulljack's a one-hit kill and these Banshees are difficult to kill. And yeah. then they also split once you damage yeah, them. Yeah, that was it. That was it. So I was like, okay, well, I'm, I, know, I was, again, surrounded and I was like, oh, here's an easy out. I'll just Skulljack this Banshee kill that thing and then i'm good right and so i did that and then it summons the guy that's even worse who starts mind controlling your people but he's also has a bunch of good really like combat abilities so he's not just a controller like the sectoid commanders are but he has their powers as well as and so my whole squad was getting (laughs) right Uh my whole whole squad was getting jacked up and they were they were surrounded and luckily i managed to break the mind control with a stun grenade i didn't realize that it would i tried to just stun the dude and it broke the mind control (laughs) or no i was stunning my own player that was mind controlled yeah sure um, and so it broke the mind control and they were, uh, allowed them to like revert back to my control. And I just got everybody to the evac point, except for one person that I tried to like run towards the objective and they got gunned down <laughs> before they could get to the objective. I was on, like on overwatch. Was it like theatrical? Uh, yes, that is exactly what happened. Uh, I had that happen a few times. It, the, the game is great for drama. Yeah. Like there are so many great dramatic moments in it. And the worst part about it was I could have evac to that character too. And I chose not to because I was like, there's a chance I could complete this mission. <laughs> but I, re- I was doing the math on how many turns I had before the mission was going to be over anyway. And I had I didn't factor in the fact that I had to reload my gun. Oh. <laughs> so I wasn't going to be able to destroy the terminal I need to destroy regardless. So yeah. I just kind of sent this person pointlessly off to their death, which happened to be, you know, one of my friends. Because it was a pool of characters that... Do you want to name this friend? I don't remember who it was, oh. to be honest. They like After a while, you just stop remembering their names. Did he have the bolt caster? did not have the bolt caster i think i'd lost the bolt caster but we know it's important yes but anyway so the final mission of XCOM 2 is you have to you have to kill three of those avatars oh, fuck in one in and one game in one tur- one round one, one one setting one map yeah fuck that let's you have to fight to that point you have to fight through a bunch of enemies <laughs> you get to the point where then there's the three avatars i used to be good at video games and every every <laughs> this, turn on the alien this activation is not a casual game though every other game you play is casual on every, is not every other game i play is casual right i mean yakuza is a casual game oh, that's true every uh every alien activation it they have four portals and they'll summon new th- aliens through one of those portals Ugh, so you have a con so you have to like not only kill the avatar, but you also have to kind of whittle down the enemies to the point where you can handle it. Can you disable the portals? No. Fuck. No. The portals stop porting guys in when you kill the three avatars. Jeez. Wait, wait does, it, does it, like, you kill one avatar. Does it reduce the number of portals? Nope. Jeez. Right? Well, it, 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 it not, it's not that all four po- portals spawn guys in. It's they alternate. <sighs> so they're, they'll, but they'll, 
they'll portal in okay. a batch. Okay. And the batches get like meaner and meaner. You know, they start bringing in those uh, those sectopod, those walking robots. Yeah. And stuff like that. You know, you start you'll start with getting just like the little sectoid aliens, and then it'll, the snakes will come in, and then the sectopods are coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a boss fight. It's the end end boss fight. Yeah. It's a video game. It's fight. it's brutal. So did you like on your tech trees? Did you go armor first? Did you go weapons first? What what did you do? You got to go armor first, I think. Uh, I tried doing weapons first, but uh, in my first campaign, and I was just get like I was just just tr- going through my whole list of named characters. People were getting killed like crazy. Yeah. yeah. And you, if you do the bot, if you have the uh, alien hunters thing, you have like the bolt caster and stuff. You can't even level that gun up, so you already have some high level guns to begin with. Okay. Um. So yeah, you really just got to go armor, I think, to prevent people from dying. I just can't play those bosses again, man. I just can't do it. I only won, but I only. I don't think I would for the next. I, mean, I only I tried beat him by accident, it. man. I, <laughs> I only like, like I, you know how you you can whittle the bosses down, and then they'll they'll take off, they'll summon a portal, they'll run off so that they can come back and screw you later, mm-hmm. right? And, and only on just like this crazy Overwatch, the 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 the, the guy with the pistol, uh, the sniper, the sniper where he pistols everybody in line of sight, where he pistols everybody in line of sight. So this snake finally got whittled down to the point where he, where he summons the portal he makes a run for it he runs straight past my sniper I mean like literally in the square next to him puts a gun right next to his head and, and finishes him off yeah beautiful moment yeah never want to experience it again yeah <laughs> the uh, the berserker boss wasn't too bad though because that one's pure close combat yeah and so he he could like he could psych you out like you would do a scream that would maybe like cause one of your guys to panic for. He a was easier for me than the than the snake. But you could totally like just kite the dude or whatever because he always will run towards whoever just shot him last. Right. So yeah. you know he's right on top of somebody and then you have your sniper blast him. Then he turns around and runs towards your sniper and then you have the other guy that he was just standing yeah, next yeah, to yeah, shoot him easier. and he runs back. To, you know he was easier. But that uh, that, that exalted fucking guy. Yeah. yeah I don't want to. Nah. Nah, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, don't play with that expansion. I guess is the solution there. <laughs> it seems like uh, grabbing these games like after they've been out for a while, grab all these expansions for super cheap. No, I'm done with that. It's not always the best experience. No, you know? it's not. You get yeah. a bolt caster, but you know. yeah. I like I like the um, one one thing I really like about XCOM too is the customization on the troops. I think that they did a really good job making it so that you could really make dudes look awesome. The costume options for it are pretty cool. Yes, <laughs> Joey clearly spent hours and hours and hours on it because everybody has this, the most absurd outlandish yeah. costumes on there. It's great. I've seen a colorful crew or two. Oh yeah, yeah. I did. I did mix mine up a little bit. Anytime you can put shoulder pads on a guy, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they all just look like they're members of Guar. Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much it. And it's funny because I was looking at uh, the PC mods that are out for the game. You know, for if you're playing the PC version, which I think I would probably recommend over the over the console version because of the ability to mod it yeah. and because of the, some of the things they have out there. One of the things that really bugs me about the game is the locked camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gets you into these situations where you can't always get the best angle to view what's going on, whether you've got something obstructing a building or something like that, where you can't quite get the camera where you want it to be. They don't have a locked camera. Yeah, they do. You can rotate it. It's not like free rotation. It's 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 in You got a four angle. Yeah, it's like yeah, four yeah, angles. Yeah, four angles, right? Okay. In the PC version, you can more. get more. He, he needs more angles. I need more angles. Need more yeah, angles. I want to be able to swing the camera around. Want to look at from the crotch up. Or... <laughs> I want to... <laughs> I would rather be able to look at it from the top down or be able to put that camera wherever I want it. Okay. The PC version's got a got a, a mod that allows you to to get more uh, Get good, a, Brad. Get good. I'm obviously <laughs> bad, Kevin. Um, it's the one chance I can brag about video games. Like this is like my crowning achievement here. I normally I am not good at video games, but yeah. apparently I've got what it takes to get through XCOM. I'm, With only a little bit of, of gaminess. Only a little bit. Well, you know what? You did it. Congratulations. Yeah, seriously. Put that one feather right in your hat. <laughs> yeah. 
I do have a game show for you guys. I will cheat. I won't lie. I'll, I'll tell you that. I'm looking at the mirror behind him. This uh, bull crap! <clears throat> this game is called... The Truth Is Out There. I thought it was going to be like Nutsacks or Hamsters. Nutsacks or Hamsters. <laughs> Up next on Skill and Bones, Nutsacks or Hamsters. This one's got claws. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Definitely a Nutsack. We are, I, I have not placed a button in front of you guys today. Because I'm going to run the buttons. Yes, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) You had that one in your pocket for the last hour and a half, didn't you? Yes, I did. It's like, how am I going to do this? Oh, right. You've taken everything from us, Brad. I'm going to to make my own sound effects. I don't even know why I showed up today. I don't get to push any buttons. Just mine. Just mine, Kevin. (laughs) Only mine. Well, I'm going to have to refocus then. Yeah. That means you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so I have here... The top 10 states reporting UFO sightings in the uh, country of the United States. Somehow I feel like that's half an effort from you. <laughs> like I, I could have done 20, I, uh-huh. but, I, but I, at the last minute scaled it back to 10. I, yeah, it feels like it. Yeah, well, I, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you to name a state that you think is on the top 10 list of states reporting UFO sightings. Mm-hmm. If you are correct, you will hear this sound. <laughs> Incorrect. Three strikes and you're out. Oh, I'm fucked. <laughs> Three strikes? Jesus. Three strikes okay. and you're out. Oh, wow. Each, 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 each. Okay? Yeah. So, in your mind's eye, what do you picture to be a state that reports a lot of UFOs? Kevin. Of course, you're going to give it to him first. No wonder I was going to win. Go ahead, Kevin. Lauren. No, 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 no. Kevin, please wait. New Mexico. Yeah, that's a gimme. Really? New Mexico is not on the top 10 list. Is it 11? If it's 11, I'm going to come across the Is it in the top 20? Is it in the top 20? It's not even in the top 20. Oh. What? Bear in mind populations of these states. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. New I, Mexico uh, doesn't have a whole lot of people in it. That was my guess, too. Right? I, think right. I figure 100% of everybody in New Mexico has reported that. One, right? <laughs> right? All right. Lauren, give mm. me a state. Oh, shit. Top 10 states reporting UFOs. You, Washington. Washington is number... <laughs> Two. Washington State has the second highest rate of reporting UFOs. Sky dragons in flight. <laughs> Kevin. Texas. Nice call, buddy. That will get you 18 points. Texas is number three, right behind Washington State. <laughs> All right. All right. I, I had to do it. I had to go. I had to reach for it, but worked out. California. Are you dead? Like, what's wrong with your ginger little paws there? That number work. one. We have the number one, two, and three are California, Washington, and Texas. Can I retire at this point? (laughs) You have not had a strike against you, so you seem to be undefeatable. Feels good. Uh, Kevin, 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 Kevin. Kevin. Is this what it feels like, Kevin? Let's go Ohio. How did you know Ohio? Is this like something you knew from your childhood? Filling out at number nine. Got a pretty good population, and they got a lot of crops. So where are you going to put circles? (laughs) In which to put our Wait, I shouldn't tell you my strategy. (laughs) Yes. Oregon. Number 11. Oh, coming across the table. Just off the list. <laughs> Just off the list. Okay. Uh, man. We uh, have California at number one, Washington at number two, Texas at number three, and Ohio at number nine. Quite a spread between three and nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of states to think of. This is a lot of dead air. Hawaii? Okay. That's a great guess. Mm-hmm. That was an Negatory. 
What what position are they? Not even in the top twenty. Oh. Probably fifty. Such an idiot. <laughs> That's two strikes against Kevin. I know. Mm-hmm. I've got no margin for error here. Well, we focus mostly West Coast, except for Ohio. That's Midwest. I wonder if the East Coast people ever see anything. Let's try New York. Number five. Oh yeah. I don't think a mathematic. Uh, Unless uh, he's, I've got a, I've got a, I got one. Have him strike out I've at this point. Got two, and I got five. Right. The only chance. This is gonna be a first for me. This is Pennsylvania. This is Coming in just ahead of Ohio. Number eight. So I've got three, eight, and nine. Ooh, that's not great. Mm. Illinois. Or Chicago. Yeah. Just ahead of Pennsylvania is Illinois. Which at number seven. It's gonna be a reach, but I'm in desperation I, uh, mode. New Jersey. Oh. Strikeouts. I'm sorry, Kevin. You have lost. For the first time. <laughs> the truth is out there. The full top 10 listing is California at number one, Washington at number two, Texas at number three, and of course, Florida man reports in at number four. Yeah, that makes New sense. York at number five, Arizona at number six, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and rounding out the top 10 is Michigan. Mm. Did I never guess Arizona? Nope. You said Mulder. New Mexico. I was going, Arizona was going to be my second choice too. Well, You're Scully. Because I was Mulder. thinking of the whole Phoenix thing. I was like, that was like a million reports all at once. Folks, yeah. you heard it here. The first time I've ever won a trivia game on <laughs> Skill and Bones. I've been a host here for a, a year now. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go home and celebrate. <laughs> Congratulations, Mr. Lauren Tinsley, on your first victory. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Ah! Calm down, audience. Okay. Quiet down back there. My mom's going to be so disappointed in me. She'll stop listening. Just now? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be the the straw that breaks the camel's back. She's been... (laughs) Big fan of the show. Yeah, big fan of the show. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to roll right into the XCOM board game. It's all XCOM all the time. What am I going to do when the aliens get here? Option is powered up enough to fill that landscape. 2.7 in the cockpit. Chemicals rising inside of the cross. From the Mercury astronaut, George Austin. From, 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 from the economics liberation in Boston. Massachusetts protected by the Army and Red Brets. Special effect units, navigational training. Four altitudes, three compulsive rates. Phoenix, Arizona, Yelona. Aliens looking in my face. Reserve Marines coming in, coming in. Coming in, coming in. If there's any one board game manufacturer, designer, that could properly encapsulate how difficult a game XCOM should be, it's Fantasy Flight Games. Have we not talked about Fantasy Flight Games on this show before? I feel like we've talked about Fantasy Flight Games on this show. Every opportunity. Every opportunity? Yeah. Okay. Is there a game we haven't covered, but there's sounds of games. Sounds of games, yes. So, so I think the first step that they did to making XCOM the board game a very difficult game was they designed the most unfriendly dice I have ever seen <laughs> in a game. How so? It's a six-sided die. Yeah. Four of those sides are blank. Yeah. Yeah, you almost don't really need a die at that point of the game. I mean, because what's the point? You need a weighted coin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You need a... Sl- there's not a failure on... They could have... There's no, like, like bad failure on it, right? It's just, yeah. it's just failure. Well, it's just you... Yeah. The game packs in all the bad failures for you. You don't need them on the dice. That's true. That's true. Let's start by describing what this board game is. It is a cooperative players versus the game resource management game uh, that 
you have to go and download an app in order to be able to play. This is a new thing. Which worked really well, actually. Yeah. I thought that, that was a great mechanic. The app is free, right? The app is free. A separate app that uh, runs on a phone or on your uh, on an, uh, uh, tablet will take you through the turn sequence and tell you when it is your turn to do your job. Each player sits down in one of the four different positions. The four roles being the commander, the chief scientist, the central officer, ops that's is pretty the ops good. guy, uh-huh. and the squad leader. Each of these roles has a very different set of expectations that they're supposed to do. <laughs> the commander, for example, handles all of the uh, money and is responsible for keeping track of the budget and they're responsible for managing the sky fight. We, we didn't really get into the, mm-hmm. uh, in the XCOM video game, especially out of the original video game, how much of it is related to sending your air force around in order to shoot down uh, flying saucers as they as the aliens begin to invade the planet. This game focuses more on that than the XCOM 2 did because yes. since XCOM 2 had you in a sort of mobile base going to an established alien force uh, around the world, uh, this this has got more of the flavor of the interceptors. The higher level of of XCOM, I always felt like the stuff that you do globally is is really high level stuff. Yeah. Whereas all your your minutia is on the tactical shooter. Right. The commander's in charge of the air force. I think that covers it pretty well. Right. So that means that he gets to decide where the Air Force goes on the map, uh, can respond to alien threats. Yeah, but also has to manage the every single dollar that is spent on each of the other departments. So this the second one, the central officer, runs the actual application uh, because there is a, f- a function where you are on the clock playing this game, mm-hmm. right? The app has got a constant timer running, and you've only got somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 to 25 seconds to actually complete your turn. It's like a chess clock where you can bank that time. The person who is running the central officer uh, spot uh, will pause and uh, and restart that time, thus banking the extra time that you might save in making your decisions quickly to give to other players later on. There's a there's there, <laughs> the funny thing being that when the timer is paused, a second timer kicks off, and you only have a certain amount of pause time that you're allowed to build into your decision making time. It can get exhausting running that thing be, and while people are all around really quickly trying to uh, figure out what they're going to do. Everybody cannot play this game by focusing on everybody else's roles. It's really fascinating to me because in other co-op games, it often gets down to one person knowing what they're doing and telling everybody what the optimal choice is. Right. I don't think that you can do that in this no. because you have to be so monofocused on your job that you can't be, be telling other people what to do. But the, the commander has to be open to that because he runs the budget. Right. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of communication. Like I can uh-huh. talk to the, the tactical guy. I can tell the engineering what they need, what kind of research they right. need for their soldiers and things like right, that. Right, right. Everybody will have a, a brief period of time to discuss what the upcoming turn might bring mm-hmm. and how much money they need in order to replenish their supplies, to, mm-hmm. to get their soldiers back into good health, to get the interceptors back into the air, to, to research these new tools that are coming down the pipe. But the commander's running this international alien fighting thing and he's got $14. <laughs> <laughs> and every single dollar counts. Should be an easy enough budget to track. Yeah, you would think, right? But if you go over budget, <laughs> this game ties back, rather than XCOM 2, this game ties back more towards the original games in that you are worried about global panic, mm-hmm. right? And each continent is tracked separately on a panic track. And once a certain number of continents fall over the edge into total riotous 
panic. Panic. <laughs> Anarchy. Use that? Anarchy. Thank you. Uh, then, then you lose the game. It's one of these games where where you are not tracked on how to win the game as much as you're tracked on the numerous ways that you can lose the game. Right. Yes. Two of them being two continents fall into chaos, and the other one being that aliens ransack your base and invade and just kill you all. Right. Yes. Yeah. All right. When your commander doesn't spend the dollars right, if you go over budget, the countries fall further into chaos. Mm-hmm. And so oh, you want to avoid that. Also, the commander is uh, in control of the, the bad things that come to you. Can't remember the term they use, the uh, the disasters. The, the, yeah, like the crisis. Cri- you have like yeah, two crises. crises to choose from. Yeah, yeah. So every turn you're going to you're going to have a, 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 a deck of crises cards, things mm-hmm. that could happen to you. The commander is going to look at those two cards and try and pick the one that's just less bad for you. Yep. They're all bad for you. Yeah. So bad. Everything in this game is terrible. Like that can happen to you. Yep. And and I'm, I'm not trying to like, I, I, I don't think that I'm underscoring that enough because... It's difficult decision-making to be the commander. If you don't have sweaty palms at the end of the game or at some point during, you're not playing it, uh, right? We (laughs) should make mention of the fact that we played it on easy. (laughs) Yeah, every time. And I refuse to play it on anything harder than easy. Right. If you're the commander and you haven't, like, feel like you fucked somebody else in the table, you've done the wrong thing. Yeah. And the difficulty is interesting in this because it, it, it is handled by reducing the amount of time that you have to make your decisions. Yep. So it's all about running that clock. The ops person has got to run the timer on the app in order to keep the flow going. And mm-hmm. if you run over time, again, countries fall into chaos. And also you're in charge of the satellites, right? Yeah, so there's there's a set of satellite tokens that you can uh, put out into space to uh, just give you an extra edge on fighting off the uh, aliens that are emerging out around the world. It's not the same as the Air Force thing, but they do give you uh, extra powers that you can uh, help other people do their jobs. Well, and it, and it helps you kind of uh, see the UFOs coming. So that you know if you need to deploy interceptors and whatnot in advance, right? Yeah, because there are two different places where UFOs will, will appear. They will appear somewhere on the map on one of the different continents, right? Um, or they will appear on the little space on the on the board, which is for the globe in general, right? Mm-hmm. The satellites can intercept the aliens when they're uh, in space still and thus take them off the table that way before they actually get down to land on the planet. Um, but once they get down to land on the planet, you have to deal with them, the Air Force. So the uh, the person running the satellites is the is the first line of defense. Absolutely. Right. Before they before they get down to the point where you have to deal with them on the on the Air Force level, which is which you have to deal with before you get down to dealing with them on the ground with the with the squad commander. And then the squad commander does what? Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they don't do what they want to do. Um, <laughs> so the, the squad commander chooses the troops to allocate. You know, both two missions that you have that it'll give you like, you know, bonuses or or delay the uh, the inevitable doomsday or they can you can allocate them towards defending the base against aliens that are assaulting the base directly. Because every turn aliens are going to assault your base. Right. So just like the, the video game, there's different classes uh, and they have different specializations. And at the beginning of the game, you draw. Is it two kinds of enemies? Yep. Maybe it's difficult. Well, no, they, they, they give you a, a uh, set mm-hmm. depending on which difficulty you're playing at. They, they tell you which alien cards to include in the deck from which you draw uh, invaders to your base. But we played, Dic- we played it twice on easy and we had different sets of aliens. So yeah, I think that there's... dictated by the app. Though. Yeah, I think so the app. Yeah, 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 the app tells you. But it, I'm sure that, yeah, as the difficulty increases, there's... Right. As the difficulty increases, you get harder aliens to yeah. play against. Anyway, so you know in advance what kinds of aliens you're going to be facing, but you're not sure exactly in what quantity from turn to turn. Sure. Or when in the turn. Or when in the turn. Because yeah. the other thing that the app does is it mixes up which events happen in which order yeah so you're doing your thing and then all of a sudden more aliens get spawned and so you're wanting to 
allocate more troops to respond to that. And the aliens, if I remember correctly, had special abilities that made your job even harder. Some of them. Some it, of them did. Yeah, it depends. You know, some of them are, you know, like your your sectoid commanders and stuff like that would have more manipulative type abilities because they have mind control and things like that. Whereas some of them are a little bit more direct, like a thin man or something. But they definitely make the fight a little bit more complicated than just simply, oh, these guys are good at this ability and these aliens have those vulnerabilities, match them up, roll the dice, see how it goes. You know, there's definitely a little And again, more. they are the meanest dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's my biggest complaint for the for the tactical aspect of it in in general is that if your soldiers if you fail at a mission your soldiers die so you have to pay to to increase your pool of soldiers in the first place you have to buy these soldiers from the dead pile right what at a dollar per soldier right then you have to pay them again to activate them into the active list rather than just having them in your deep roster right and then if they die you have to buy them back again so you're essentially paying three times and if you're and if the dice are screwing you because you're just rolling, you know, not poorly, average, <laughs> then uh, it's not possible to roll average. You, in know, this thing. you can only roll less than average. <laughs> it's, a, it's a constant uh, resource drain. And you so see you're really, really dependent on luck. And you're going to be throwing maybe somewhere between two and five dice on a particular mission, depending on how many guys you assign to that mission. And the way that XCOM differs from some other board games is that it has a press your luck Uh, model built right into it so on top of your regular d6s of which only two sides are successes you're also going to throw a d8 out there and this d8 is the threat dice uh threat die i should say Mm -hmm. um and what it does is it allows you to re-attempt the roll that you made with your regular d6s and every time that you re-roll them for more successes, the threat die increases its number. So if you, uh, we start at a low threat of one. That means that if you, if that D8 that you throw out there with your other D6s rolls a one, then the aliens automatically win, you lose, everybody dies. Go home, right? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't roll a one, hey, you know what? You didn't succeed this time, but uh, you want to try it again. You throw your D6s <laughs> out there again. Oh, but this time the threat marker has moved and now that D8 triggers instant death on a one or a two. And you can try it again in three, you know, try it again. And now half of your potential for instant death is out there. And so you can keep pressing your luck over and over and over again to sort of grind your way through these missions or through your research or through whatever job it is that you're doing. But every time you try it again, the threat die goes up and it gets harder to, uh, or the the chances of uh, instant failure are uh, greater. Uh, You can always give up. And end your mission prematurely. You won't lose your guys, but you uh, don't necessarily succeed. You can pause mid-mission or mid-research or whatever it is. Sounds spot on. Okay. All right. (laughs) I think the easiest job I had was being the science officer. Let's talk science officer. You just pick perks for people. For the most part, I don't remember there's any aliens you had to deal with. Well, the way that it works is that you would receive the corpses from the the squad leader. And you use those to upgrade your perks faster. Right, yeah. So you'd pick, you'd get all these alien techs as you draw from your, you you would draw a certain number of cards from a deck. Mm -hmm. And then you would have three different research slots that you'd be able to assign them into. Which was odd because they weren't numbered like from left to right, one, two, three. It was like one, one, three, two. No, it would just tell you no, like no. randomly to resolve them in, in no, 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 no. different order. It wasn't across the board. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it. it's one, two, three. I think it's numbered one, two, three, but you resolve them in whatever the app tells you to do. Go peek.
It's a pretty short loop. It's not. What? How was it numbered? One, three, two. What? No, I got it. Sing for me. Da 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 You were supposed to look, damn it. Okay. I was like, do I? Wait, 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 now I need to settle this. We've got one. <laughs> okay, it's one, two, three, but you're resolved in different orders. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the app says result, but I, it's kind of arbitrary, I think. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's part not. of the it's part of the general chaos, right? Can, is it? I, I've never played that role. Is there a situation where the the results of one bit of research could affect the results of another one? And that's where the random order of re- no, resolution would matter. No, I think it's a matter of. I think it's a matter of uh, once you resolve that technology, it goes to the other. It, you, you hand that card. You re- research the technology and then hand that card to another person. So let's say you uh, are resolving something that uh, is for the squad leader, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if the if the chief scientist gets to gets to resolve the one that is uh, in the one slot first every single time then they may be able to set up to say, you know what, the squad leader is going to need extra help this turn. I'm going to make sure I put all the squad leader stuff in slot one because I will be sure to resolve that before the squad leader turn. Okay. Whereas if they resolve n- number three, they might not get around to having the better technology for the squad leader until after the squad leader is already gone. You know? Right. And it's but, and it, less reliable. Yeah. yeah. And they, but they don't have any research that benefits research, like a card they assign to themselves that allows them to accomplish research there's faster. A, like, there's like a couple. Every every slot got buffs off yeah. the bat. You know, even a squad squad leader, you had some buffs, some card, some bonus you had. Yeah, I don't really remember how how they worked, but yeah, there's weapons. You get different weapons and armor systems for, for a squad leader. Yeah. yeah, and you got certain. The satellites would get better abilities that would give you um, more control. Like you would be able to allow people to untap their cards so that they could get a second turn at things, or you would be able to to. Uh, remove a couple of aliens off of the board and that kind of thing. And mine was based on where we started on the map. The yeah. Commanders where we started for location to determine my buff. Right. So they had a buff that allowed you to, um, one was the exchange of corpses mm-hmm. for research tokens. And there's another one that does something like that too. Okay. But yeah. So if you could, uh, if you had a research that would benefit the engineer or the, you know, to, for accomplishing more research, then if you could resolve them in any order, you could, create an optimal right yeah, you know optimal. research path i think that this game largely throws the whole optimal path thing out the window yeah right on it, it, it's dealing with changing circumstances on the fly yeah yeah and they and and it's chaos i mean it's it's chaos incarnate there's just so much things that can go wrong at any one time and to to be in especially like the commander role when you're ch- picking out the threats that are coming down on you that is hectic as hell man yep uh, I was like, how do you want to take this? Lying down, standing up, <laughs> in the face, in the stomach. They were bad decisions. Always bad decisions. So the question is, did you like the game? I was disappointed that it wasn't a tactical shooter. When you first said XCOM, I had a certain set of um, expectations? An expectation. Thank you. <laughs> that I was looking forward to. And it when I played the game, it wasn't what I was expecting. It was not the thing you wanted. Not the thing I wanted. But does that mean does that mean that you didn't enjoy it? I enjoyed it with, I think you need a nice crew of people that are going to laugh a lot of crazy bad stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That was my, because like I said, I played the the squad leader both times that I've played the game. First time, you know, it was one thing and I was like, okay, so I had my expectations and the game wasn't that. So will I like it more the second time around? And so I played the same role twice. And yeah, I, they, I wish there was some, the squad leader resolves their turn essentially the same way as anybody else does. Whereas XCOM has that split of the resource management over here yeah, yeah. and then the tactical execution over here. 
and and it, the board game is resource management over here and resource management over here, <laughs> um, which isn't necessarily wrong, but it's it didn't fulfill what I want. Like I would I would love if there was a um, if there was a spatial element to to the approach, like the aliens spawn in this place, in this place, in this place, and you can you know you can send your soldiers to corresponding locations, having like a grid or a hex or something. You wanted like some sort of tactical element. Yeah, I'd look at it like this. This seems like a beer and pretzels game to me. Whereas like the XCOM games on the video games and stuff like that are always a tight game. Tight, tight, tight. Everything is tight. There's nothing beer and pretzels about that to me. Definitely requires a lot of beer. I don't think that there's time to eat pretzels though. I don't know that I would try and do this after <laughs> drinking beer just because just because it's so like like the time management portion. And I and I played the the ops guy and and so I was more in charge of like making sure that the that the time was going where it was going and uh even handling the budget. So you'd be the designated partner. driver. Beer and pretzels in that Shit's gonna go bad. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, you, you can't yeah. put your heart into this, right, 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 this right, right, resource right. management no. at all. Yeah, it, the dice. There's too many random elements yes. that you can't. You really have to go in there with that understanding that like there's a good chance you'll lose, and if you do, there's a good chance it'll be a lot Horrible. out of your control. Yeah, you know, and so you just have to have that expectation going into it. That's what I mean. You don't control that. your own yeah. destiny as not much as you'd like to. Maybe not so much as you expect you having played an XCOM game. That's that's yeah. that was part of my expectations. That said, the the fact that it has the app running separately and and it is uh, controlling uh, your destiny makes it a different style of board game. Insofar as I want, as it, it seems like a challenge to be conquered, right? Yeah. The other kinds of co op board games, whether it be like Pandemic or the other kinds of things, where it feels like there is a set solution, yeah. a best possible path. I'm not looking at Zombicide. I'm not looking at Zombicide. <laughs> but you're thinking about Zombicide. I'm not thinking about Zombicide. <laughs> you're it always looks thinking like there's about a, it. <laughs> there's a. <clears throat> It looks like there's a set solution that there is always an optimal path and that somebody can dictate what that optimal path is. Yep, here. Yep. I don't think that's possible here. I think that this game requires a better sense of teamwork mm. than those other games do. I yep. agree. Where everybody has to contribute. Yeah, yep. I, I, I do agree with that. You know, we're, we're sitting here saying like I'm blaming the dice and I'm blaming the random spawns of the enemies and the random activation orders and things like that. But I'm. I've also played two games of it, right? So yeah. it's easy for me to focus on those things early on and, and lamenting that I don't have more control over my own destiny. Right. But I'm sure that as you play the game enough, you get used to those sorts of things yeah. and you figure out, okay, this how to how to go through the the critical thinking required to adapt to the changing It feels like something that you can get good at. Yeah. Fair enough. Knowing when to push your luck and knowing when not to. Right. You know. Right. Is a, is a skill. Right. Because, yeah. you know, as a... As, when I was there, I always wanted to push my luck. Just keep rolling until you succeed. Right. But then if you push your luck too far, it burns you. And then I'm blaming the dice. But it's like, well, really, I should have just realized. You knew the odds. The writing ahead. was on the wall. Right. I'm going to say not against you, but against the game bullshit because something bad was always going to happen. Yeah. You're going to get burned regardless. Yeah. Oh, God, so many bad things. It's like, it's like <laughs> are you getting a second degree burn or a first degree burn? I go, what is that? Right. Yeah. So I do want to play it again. I want to play it more. You you just clammed up like you're not going to touch this thing again. I would I'll play a game for fun, but it's not something I'm going to try to get good at. Like no, 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 no. But for laughs and fun. Oh hell yeah! Right. Fuck yeah! Yeah, it's it it a pretty stressful game. And I want to play the yeah. So and I want to play the uh, exp there's an expansion yeah. for it now. Yeah, I'm definitely down. It adds some another expansions. character class, adds more stuff to it, adds new <laughs> new missions, new threats, new all kinds. So of you, stuff so has it become a five player game then, or is it? There, I think it's you still choose four, player. four out of five. Huh. I think it's still four player. I don't. I I'd want it to be five player game at that point, honestly. Yeah, you would think. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will play it again uh, for fun for kicks. And it giggles. starts as five players, but one person is randomly executed <laughs> partway through the game. <laughs> 
Yeah. I suggest it. If anybody's uh, not, if you're looking for the tactical shooter, no, go play uh, Imperial Assault. But, or, or we've talked about this uh, game before when we were talking about our anime episode and the aesthetics of it. But as far as simulating the tabletop experience of XCOM, Infinity is the game for you. Because a big part of XCOM is you have activations and you have uh, one of the things you can do is you can set somebody to Overwatch. Enemies can do this and friendlies can do this. And that's a huge part of Infinity the game is uh, the ARO aspect. The reaction order. Yeah. And the truest to the Infinity part of it is actually those horrible bosses that we were talking about. Because they can react to everything that happens, and you can re- keep reacting in Infinity as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty shocked that nobody has come up with a uh, XCOM tactical game uh, that's out on the market now. I mean, it, it seems like a really simple thing that would have been done by now. Yeah, I completely agree. It must not have been that simple. <laughs> What's that? Maybe maybe it's not that simple or uh, there's no market within... It's already a saturated market. Yeah, it's true. So it's hard to get traction and stuff like that. Yeah, but like, there's all kinds of various factors that lead into the calculation of whether a hit is made in the XCOM the video game. When you know, cover an angle and uh, uh, skill of your dudes. What, which I disagree with a lot. What do you mean? <laughs> like, I, I swear I may hit that shot. You cannot. Oh, well, you yeah. can't overwatch me through that wall. Right, right, right. I mean, if, if you got a ninety-two percent hit for the guy that's standing right next to you, and your model is literally clipping through the enemy with its pistol through its head, yeah, you think you're going to make that shot, but sometimes you miss. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. There's all kinds of things. That Usually the worst times. Usually yeah. the worst times. Yeah. Every time I've noticed. <laughs> um, but Infinity would definitely be a a good model for this yeah. sort of thing to follow. And Infinity does that with with its cover system and and having, you know, crit chances and. Um, I mean, it's it, instead of on a, a percentage scale, right. it's, it's, you know, D20, so right. 5% blocks. For sure. Just to keep us honest, why is Infinity a good fit for this topic? Just because the uh, Overwatch and Reaction Order stuff. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. We're talking, you're talking tactical shooters, but why does it belong on the Alien episode? Because it has aliens in it? There you go. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah. No, yes, yeah. that's, that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's less, less on thematically dovetails. I mean, it's certainly, the overall story for Infinity is that aliens are invading the the human worlds yeah the yeah. human controlled space so it definitely human sphere there the human sphere but yeah so i mean it certainly has that but it doesn't it's not the same like disparity in technology that that tends to be a theme in a lot of alien invasion right. stories yeah you know they have advanced technology we have advanced technology there might there's might be slightly more but it doesn't like completely outstrip yeah, they don't have sherman tanks strapped to rockets man yeah that's true i want that well, yeah, they didn't. Have, they don't I have American gusto, is what yeah. they don't have. <laughs> gusto. And speaking of which, the Mars Attacks made a board game. Yep, we were unable to. And get we all of that we aspire to play it. <laughs> you know, I remember when it was on the Kickstarter, and I was looking real hard at it because it had some really cool miniatures. But it was right around the time that I was coming to terms with the fact that I've got too many miniatures and just couldn't justify to myself purchasing that game. Speaking of which, uh, we had our New Year's resolutions on the last episode. Uh, where, yeah, we did, didn't we? Where are you at with that? It, Looks like a couple of these piles are a little taller than they were. I might have last month. Might have got a crokinole board, and a couple of other things. And what have what have you kicked out the back door? Crickets. I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> shame. Did you just say shame? <laughs> yes. It's coming. It's um. It's a work in progress. Lauren, what was your New Year's resolution? He, oh, uh, he's did... gonna get an epic mount. Yeah, I'm gonna get an epic mount. 
a big mountain. I'm a big mountain in Heroes of the Storm. That's what I'm after. How's it work? How's it working? Uh, I'm not. I still have the rest of the year. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) See, I got plenty of time. Okay, Uh, you guys are gonna procrastinate, and then on our December episode. No. Um. I'm just going to light this place on fire. <laughs> I've been keeping Done. myself current with the Oops. meta characters. Uh, I play a lot of quick match. I tend to do, I have a winning rank or winning record in quick match, which is the lead up to competitive. I don't play a whole lot of competitive right now, but I'm working up to that. You're painting stuff. I am painting. I've seen, I, I saw some of your board game just stuff painted. Yep. I just started painting. Uh, I painted, a, I think, nine armada squadron so far cool and i just started uh i've got two shadow casters almost done i started them Joy did it too yeah painted some stuff looked really good it did better than i wanted it to you painted your little uh, you painted your little hawk your seahawk yeah 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 for x-wing i've done a few repaints and so my hawk 290 for x-wing i painted to look like the seahawks logo and then i decided to do a smaller version of that for my armada hawk as well cute yeah little, cute little guy little baby Lauren loves Janors. Fucking hate that bitch. <laughs> brace. <laughs> Fuck. It's dead now, right? No, Brace. Now is it dead? No, Brace. How many braces she got? 500. Four per turn. Um. So that was <laughs> XCOM the board game. Is there any other alien board game thing? There's another. Oh, there is. There's. Um, there you go. So there's another one by, by Privateer Press, mm-hmm. right? Which is actually a whole series of them. There's There's a few of them. There is level seven escape. There's level seven Omega protocol, which is, I believe the one we're thinking of, uh, which are uh, more of the XCOM style hmm. game than what the XCOM board game itself is. When you're looking for the tactical attack stuff. Uh, okay. Level seven Omega protocol rated fairly highly. And it's all about uh, this underground research facility mm-hmm. where you've, where you've uh, either been captured by aliens or captured aliens. What is it? I think they broke out from the, Picks, I watched the video. Yeah. Level seven escape. You were breaking out of this, uh, the Subterra Bravo facility, and uh, it's a cooperative. It's kind of like a dungeon crawl sort of thing, like okay. Descent or whatever. Uh, one player takes over the role of the Overseer, while two to five other players take the role of an elite special ops team. The Overseer's role in the game is to control all of the alien denizens and challenges the players face throughout the game. The players are trying to achieve specific scenario-based objectives by exploring a map that's laid out at the start and fighting off the hordes of aliens that the Overseer sends their way. So kind mm. of that same mix is... Uh, Descent or Imperial Assault, where you've got the missions the Overseer is um, walking people through. So Dungeon and Explore. But yeah. it's very much thematically in the same vein as the uh, XCOM board game. You're, you're shooting sectoid. Gray How did this things. stay off our radar until right now? I looked at it before and oh. I just didn't want to... Since it was doing specifically the, the XCOM thing, I okay. didn't want to buy another board game. Fair enough. Yeah. Those types of games don't aren't generally... They're hard to they're hard to set up because usually that one person doesn't want to be the the dungeon master. Like people are down to play a co op game, but then it's like, all right, we need one person to not have any friends who right. wants to step up for that. Right. But I'd be interested to try it out. I know you'll buy it eventually, Brad. No. I mean, it's only a matter of time. Downsizing, Kevin. Downsizing. Keep telling yourself that. Uh. You just don't want the stand, do you? You're enjoying this, aren't you? I am. Our audience, like the aliens, has probably been repelled at this point. Thank you guys for coming out again and recording another episode of the Skill and Bones Radio Podcast. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Skill and Bones RP on Twitter. That's the name of our Twitter account, by the way. Okay. You asked me a while ago, and I that's did. what it is. Uh, skill at Skill and Bones RP. Also, you can check us out at Skill and Bones Radio.com. Send us an email, Skill and Bones Radio at gmail.com please check us out on itunes or whatever podcasting app you have rate and review 
Let's get those reviews plural. Let's get those reviews plural. Yes. Okay. We have one now. Thank you, Nathan. Everybody else, if you don't, I'm going to steal your phones at the bar and I'm going to rate it myself. Yes. Highly. Rated highly. Five stars. <laughs> get out there and roll some boxcars. <laughs> 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 oh no I've killed Lauren You killed him That sneeze is coming back to haunt us He's dead <laughs> You can't bottle up a sneeze for an hour and a half <laughs> no. Two hours And not expect it to Next morning a crowd gathered on the common Hypnotized by the unscrewing of the cylinder Two feet of shining screw projected when Suddenly the lid fell off. Two luminous, disc-like eyes appeared above the rim. A huge, rounded bulk, larger than a bear, rose up slowly, glistening like wet leather. Its lipless mouth quivered and slapped and snake-like tentacles writhed as the clumsy body heaved and pulsated. Closer to the pit. A tall funnel rose, then an invisible ray of heat leapt from man to man, and there was a bright glare as each was instantly turned to fire. Every tree and bush became a mass of flames at the touch of this savage, unearthly heat ray. (laughs) 